When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This neon guy, mm-hmm. what's, what's the deal with him? Like, I'm not too keen into that world. This is not like a diss or anything. Right. It's just like I, I'm seeing him pop up. And, you know, I know you had him on your yeah. podcast with his girlfriend. He's like a 19-year-old Indian kid or Pakistani, possibly. Okay. And he, I think, is a virgin. And he does the IRL streaming thing where he just goes out in public and gets into weird altercations with people and stuff like that. This is kind of like the new paradigm. Like, in a way, this is what you created. It's just transformed into something completely different. I created this? <laughs> I, I could I could document the through line for you. It's okay. like, you start out sitting down having conversations with people on camera. Okay. We fast forward 15 years, and we have, you know, 19-year-old incels, no offense, Neon, who are, like, going out in public sort of like surprise interviewing people like all over the street and stuff just talking to all kinds of random people and then they have security with them to make sure they don't get the shit beat out of them okay and uh this is the new the new content landscape we live in but is he a virgin i mean he has a girlfriend a hot only fans girlfriend and but apparently they haven't slept together yet he takes his uh, islamic faith very serious okay <laughs> so he's probably pakistani something like that yeah because yeah, pakistanis are mostly right there you go, muslim yeah, yeah. Okay. So we've done a little bit of content with him. Yeah, all right. You know, on Halloween, I was at a party, and it's like I'm at a party, so I'm just hanging out, Mm -hmm. not thinking about anything I'm doing really being documented unless somebody sticks a video camera in my face. And then I see him, as well as this other streamer, Sneeko, and all of a sudden, I'm realizing, like, oh, I'm, I'm live right now. Like, anyone, like, tens of thousands of people who are watching this at home can witness me at this party right now. So up until that moment, I had felt totally safe and secure at this party. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, anything that happens right now is going to be blasted out to the world around me. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an unnerving feeling to realize that you are no longer just chilling off camera. Now you're, you're in the context, content yeah. vortex. Yeah, I don't even go live, if you notice. You did one time. No, I mean, every so often, I'll just do it. But mm-hmm. like months or sometimes even years will pass in between these these live sessions it's just not not really my thing yeah i mean if you want to really like build a great business and monetize on youtube it kind of behooves you to not go live right because you take a two-hour piece of content chop it up into a million clips put it on youtube get it already that seems like the profit maximizing angle yeah Yeah, i mean 16 years in it's been working stuff has been working so how would you describe how the business of Vlad TV is doing because I feel like 
there was perhaps like a time period during the pandemic where a lot of podcasts and YouTube channels sort of mm-hmm. felt like they were going to be experiencing unlimited growth for the sustained future. And then at a certain point, I mean, not that things are going bad, but it feels like maybe our expectations kind of got reset at a yeah. certain point. I mean, we did well during the pandemic. Uh, at first, we we're a little bit nervous, obviously, mm-hmm. but because we don't really do like Zoom type interviews. So we had to figure out how to, you know, we would actually send people like video kits to set up in their own homes and then we would make it look like we're in the same room. So you weren't really doing that before the pandemic? Not not in the same fashion. Like we, we would send people to studios where people didn't right. want to leave their homes. So we would actually, we put together like this kit with like a digital recorder oh, and like a, like a tripod and a light for their phone. And then we would kind of sit there and work with them and make it look as professional as possible. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of these pandemic interviews were done that way. Um, and, you know, we had a, a good amount of growth during that time. And then, you know, last year was a bit of a rough year. Um, but, I mean, that's the nature of business. You have your ups and downs. What do you attribute that to primarily? Obviously, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, I mean, the CPM rates were, were a bit, you know, a bit soft. Uh, there's more, uh, more competition, obviously, in the space. There's a lot more podcasters. I feel like everyone's got a podcast now. Mm. Every ex-rapper, ex-athlete, ex fighter you mm-hmm. know x everything x porn star the viewers like, are being split up between a million so. different places so. now. to a certain degree and you know and then you have things you can't control like google search engine traffic and facebook traffic and other stuff but then you know snapchat kind of came up you know you helped me mm. kind of hook up with a company you know uh social lemon to do that so I mean, it's the nature of business. You have ups and downs. You know, I had years where I didn't pay myself a salary just so my, my staff could all get paid. Mm. Uh, you know, this wasn't the case last year. But, you know, I mean, it, it, years like that also cause you, it kind of forces you to innovate. Mm. So so I remember in our January meeting with my managers, it's like I laid out all the stuff that we changed and came up with new ideas uh, in 2023. It was probably more ideas than in a lot of the previous years combined. Mm. What uh anything in particular that stands out? I'm trying to think of like new things that you brought to the table on the channel. Obviously like the house tours. House it feels tours, like you've been yeah. traveling a bit more to uh-huh. get interviews in. Yeah, I mean like like the the Boosie and the Varball house tours. There's the car features mm-hmm. that we did with like DJ Envy and uh Lavar Ball, um Gilbert Arenas. Um and, and then there's just a lot of stuff kind of under you know, sort of behind the scenes. Like, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know, Earlier on, we didn't always put out full interviews for everything. Mm-hmm. So we had a whole bunch of clips, but not the full interviews. So we started doing like unreleased full interviews. Mm-hmm. And those kind of had their own, you know, revenue stream. Um, you know, it's just a bunch of different stuff. I'm impressed by the work ethic because when I, th- when I see you out, clearly like you just flew to Florida for a couple of days so that you could interview Vanilla Ice. Right. And, and-, and Vander Holyfield. Oh, okay. In the same yeah. weekend. Yeah. You got to, got to be able to double team that right. stuff to make it make sense financially. Right. But I see that and I'm like, dude, this is a guy who's been in the game a lot longer than me, 10 years older than me. And the fact that you still have the hunger to be like, I'm going to get on this plane instead of just kicking it with my family this weekend. And I'm going to go and I'm going to get some content that I wouldn't be able to get otherwise. Like that's very motivational to me because it's always an option. Mm-hmm. Once you have a degree of success to stop, doing the most like that i mean listen listen like you still have to meet up with people you still have to make relationships mm. you still have to be face to face you still gotta shake people's hands and and so forth it's a little bit different uh, i don't think the vanilla ice uh feature would have turned out the way it did if i was remotely doing it because after the interview he gave me a whole tour of his car collection mm-hmm. 
that just wouldn't have happened. <laughs> you know, if I was remote. And that was spontaneous? It was spontaneous. Mm. Yeah, Vanilla Ice is like kind of crazy. Like, yeah. You know I mean? Th that interview almost didn't happen mm. because um, when we got there, he almost, he was kind of changing his mind and then it was like, okay, you guys have one hour. And I'm like, it's going to take us a half hour to set up. Mm. He goes, all right, one hour after you set up. And I'm like, all right, fine. Yeah, because I noticed <laughs> when I was watching the interview. It was kind of rushed in the beginning. Because yeah, you said, right. like, you're on a little bit of a time crunch. Right. And I immediately think in my head, like, I know you flew out here. How the yeah. hell is he on a time crunch? Yeah, that, that's just, Vanilla Ice is different, man. Yeah. He's, he's, like, he's wild. He's yeah. kind of crazy. So The uh, intensity with which he speaks in yeah, those interview he's clips really is wild. Intense. Yeah. And, and what was interesting was we pulled up to his house, and we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And he comes out from the house next door and was like, Go, going through this driveway. And when we pull up to the other driveway, we realized that there's like three houses connected. Wow. And one of them has like a helicopter pad. And it was, it was interesting how rich this guy was. Wow. Because people like to, you know, he was sort of like, you know, like the original guy in hip hop that people try to cancel the most. Mm. I feel. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I feel like he got it the worst. Him and then maybe MC Hammer. Mm. It was like a close second. But to see all that, and, you know, all the diss songs and all the, you know, In Living Color, you know, skits making fun of him and everything else like that. For him to own, like, hundreds of properties and have, you know, tons of, uh, you know, a house on Star Island and, you know, a $50 million car collection and, you know, and, and a whole different, like, uh, you know, house construction business and everything else like that. And still be touring because he just likes to do it. Mm. He performed for Trump. Right, you know, on a, a New Year's. I like, saw that after, after, after came out. Yeah. yeah, so it was just like, yo, I mean, it's just cool to watch. Because you guys found some uh, common ground in that you both have OCD, right? Yeah. I mean that that was very interesting to me because I can draw a line directly between you guys both clearly having some degree of that and why you're both successful. Yeah, you got to sort of channel it, mm. but it will kind of take over your life <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't watch it. Have you struggled with it to an extreme degree? Have you ever been like tapping doorknobs and stuff? Like you have to do no, these I'm weird not, rituals? I'm not, I'm not that type of uh, okay. OCD. I'm not like I have to have everything laid out in a row OCD. It, it's more like, I don't know, you could almost compare it to like a hypochondriac. Mm. So it's just like if I got like a weird rash I'll think that I'm dying. <laughs> like I'll think that it's the worst <laughs> possible situation. It'll start to absorb my life, right? Control everything that I do until I finally like get it, you know, looked at, and you know, I'm like, okay, the doctor tells me it's just a rash, and mm. you, you know, what I'm saying it's that type of thing where every little uh, thing will start to kind of consume my life. Mm. So, you know, I, I try to keep it under control as best I can. I was never like a terribly clean guy like didn't really give a shit about my house being in order but yeah, it's, it's not that for me okay it's not that type of ocd i know for certain people it's they have that type of ocd that's not me i'm just saying like my girl being on my ass about keeping certain things in order i feel like is almost manifesting itself into like a style of ocd in the sense of like i i, I had to like mentally not go pick up the dog shit in the yard before i left today because i knew i didn't have time and like there's a part of me that I need every light turned off. I need like everything picked up off the ground. I need the dog shit picked up in, in the yard because we have two yep. dogs now. So there's quite a bit yep. of dog shit accumulating. Yeah, that, that, that's not me. Okay. That's not me. I let the housekeeper do that. I'm telling her though. I'm like, you, look, you're creating a fucking monster in my head because normally I would have never even thought about turning the lights off in the kitchen before I went to bed. Hmm. Hey, it, it manifests differently. 
Um, speaking of uh, you just talking, like kind of having these boom times during the pandemic, there was a moment where you said that you thought that you could be releasing 100 clips a day. Do you still feel like that's a possibility? I mean, not at this very moment. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know what it is, is I, during like this past year, we just created more of like a, of a deep dive into each of the interviews and started breaking down all the costs associated with it, you know, in terms of just everything. And then closely monitoring the revenue that each of the interviews would make. And it just started to shift my thinking a little bit into doing less interviews that impact more as opposed to doing as many interviews as I can, some of which end up flopping. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I think that had I had that type of laser focus earlier on, it would have shifted the way the business went a little bit. So you, you see a lot more regular guests now on mm. the show because you know those have a track record of doing well. Mm -hmm. Whereas you bring in a new person, you, you don't know. Mm. I mean, sometimes it's like obvious. You know, like I knew Game was going to do well on right. my platform, right? That That's a no-brainer. Like, whack, I knew he would do well. But, you know, with other people, like older athletes and stuff like that, you know, you just, you know, or older gangsters, you, you don't know. Mm. So you hope for the best, and you try to put together the best product that you can, but you don't know. So whereas a regular, regular guest, it's like, okay, he, he did about, you know, or she did about this many million, you know, views last time. If we go along the same line, it's more likely to do that. Mm. And we've just slowly built up this kind of cachet of, of repeat guests. Now there's probably like 30 of them or something like that. Mm -hmm. And emotionally or like, you know, satisfaction wise, how does that feel when you do, you know, your 14th interview with Michael Jai White or whatever versus when you go out and get a vanilla ice who you never had before and you yeah. thought that maybe you would never have a conversation with this guy and it's like new ground. How does that compare for you? I mean, it's definitely more thrilling to do a brand new person, especially mm -hmm. someone that you've admired for a long time, you know, like, like a Mike Tyson or a it's no like new. Right. There you go. There you go. No f***y like new f***y. Right. Um, but new f***y might come with some problems. Oh, yeah. You, know? <laughs> you might lose a lot of money off that new f***y. Right. You know, which I have. Mm. Um, you know, like the Evander Holyfield interview didn't um, do as well as I thought it would do. Mm. Not, not that it's his fault in the least. I mean, he has a hell of a story and he was willing to sit with me as long as I wanted to. And we went into deep detail into his whole story for whatever reason. Um, you know, the audience just didn't react to it in the way that I thought it would. So, you know, we ended up, you know, losing some money on it, but that's fine. Like life goes on. Mm. It was still a very cool interview to do. And, you know, but at the end of the day, it's a business. You got a staff, you, you got overhead and it's not, you know, I mean, I like sitting down with Michael Jai White. I just had John Sally yesterday. I mean, these are actually my friends now, mm -hmm. um, you know, or like uh, Ari Spears, we yell at each other and talk our shit. But, you know, getting a brand new person that I've been wanting to do for a very long time is definitely, you know, more exciting. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because sometimes you've interviewed so many people that it becomes like you have to kind of really scrape the insides of your brain or you have to just do a lot more research or watch more movies, watch more TV, spend more time on YouTube yeah. in order to find the ideas in the first place, which I always tell people who want to start a podcast. It's easy to start. Because you probably have three, four people in your head right now that you think that you're going to do an interview with and it's going to go great. And you're probably right. The challenge becomes 
after you've done the people that are already in your immediate social circle. You know, like most people in L.A. probably have a handful of important or well-known people that they have relationships with that they could potentially get to sit down. But once you get past them, it becomes like, okay, now you have to like really become a student of the culture and stay up to date. And that Mm -hmm. becomes much more challenging to me. I mean, this is where the repeat guests just started making sense. And it's funny because people will be like complaining, like, oh, this guy again. Oh, Boosie again. But it's like Boosie does numbers every time. So mm. people always like to make fun of what you're doing well at. Mm. They'll try to somehow get you off your game. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're always going to see these guests that, that do good numbers. And it, you know, it works well for everyone involved. Mm. Audience, them, me, you know, my staff everything i got to see my dad become cognizant of vlad tv for the first time briefly (laughs) when he was at my house because i'm skipping through the youtube subscriptions and there's an interview with pete rose who my dad is a hardcore baseball fan Mm -hmm. myself personally wasn't really tempted to click the pete rose interview but my dad says Mm. pete rose huh and he starts like rattling off stats and shit, and like he's I'm a hit king. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. And and was that one where like this is just somebody that you've been a fan of since you were a kid? Or no, I've always known about Pete Rose. Okay, uh, he was a little bit before my time. He was really bigger in the seventies, mm. you know, and partly the eighties. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but this is a you know, if it wasn't for the gambling, he would absolutely be in the Hall of Fame, and you know a very, very big deal in the world of baseball. It's just that the whole gambling thing kind of messed up his legacy. So mm. He's not able, you know, he's never going to get in the Hall of Fame. He can't even, like, I think even go into certain stadiums unless they allow him to for special events and, and so forth. I mean, gambling's a big deal in sports. Mm. When you start gambling on your own team, That's you can't crazy. really get back from that. Right, because when I look at how you could potentially get to, like, I was, I was going through your whole your whole feed the other day, and it's like there's... If you were to do 100 clips a day, you would have to really start talking to a lot of people right. outside of your typical niches, which you already do. You I mean, know. It wouldn't be just me, though. Right. right. Oh, yeah, so Sean Prez is a regular interviewer on the show. And then certain guests, you know, like Bosco uh, 100 was a guest that I would do, but now Sean Prez does it. Okay. Does him. Um, you know, uh, Crunchy Black mm-hmm. is usually a guest with me, but the next interview you'll see with Sean Prez. Mm-hmm. Young Jock, someone I used to interview back in the day. Now this is Sean Press's guy. So I try to push as much content to other people as possible. And and Sean's one of those that our audience reacts to. We've had other guests that, you know, other interviewers that our audience doesn't take to. So you have to kind of play around with it. Right. Yeah. How hard is it for you to get interviewers on your team that the people actually resonate with? Because I I always look at it as a little less challenging for you than it is for me because of the fact that they're off camera and because you guys do such a good job of putting together interviews before the host even probably takes an eye, uh, a look at the questions and everything like that. But you've, you've communicated to me that it's still a challenge. Like your, your audience will stop watching if it's someone they don't care for asking the questions. It's hard. I mean, we, we've had interviewers that a couple of interviews will do okay, even do well. But then when you look at it as a whole, a lot of them don't do well. Mm. So it's, it's a tough one. Sean just seems to be one that has a similar style. And, you know, for all our interviewers, we kind of provide the questions for them ahead of time, Mm -hmm. but it's really up to them to decide whether they're going to actually go through the questions or if they're going to go in their own direction. So, when you follow 
kind of the format, it usually works out better because I have a good idea about what the audience wants to do. But sometimes, you know, like for example, like a Gloria Velez, when she was doing interviews, she would use a few questions, then she would veer off and do her own thing. And then it would go off into a lot of tangents. And ultimately, the final product wasn't something that our audience would take to, mm. which is why, you know, ultimately she had three podcasts and then, you know, we went our separate ways. But and had you already had that conversation with her about how you prefer yeah. people sort of stick to more of the script versus mm. her style? Because she ended up saying some stuff, I believe, about like gay people, right? The, or, or kids transitioning or something. Yeah, and that, I, was, that was a Neo interview. I saw a clip or two and I remember thinking to myself, this feels like something that Vlad probably would not be 100% in favor of because it was injecting a little bit too much of like strong, controversial, personal yeah, opinions well, into fine. the mix. I mean, that, that that's fine. But having someone on camera, I think, is a longer trajectory to try to get them accustomed with the audience. And mm. you, you've dealt with that yourself. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you've had a lot of hosts that are no longer here. And I've had podcasts that I've tried. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a Saigon, Saigon Havoc had a podcast and, you know, the numbers just weren't, weren't really, you know, numbering basically. And, you know, they had good guests. They asked good questions. You know, Saigon and Havoc are, you know, mainstays in hip hop. But, you know, you have to, you know, sell it over time and you have to sometimes you just got to get the big, big guests in order to really pull that off. Okay, so when I started podcasting, an online store was one of the furthest things from my mind, but now we're selling t-shirts, hoodies, kendamas, and more, and it's so, so easy, all because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first ever real life store stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you to sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn your browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to the leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify's Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify has been with us here at No Jumper through all of our highs and lows, and it's always been able to accommodate our online sales and our need to create flexible solutions. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify actually powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash nojumper, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash nojumper now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's right. It's shopify.com slash nojumper. You'll be helping us out. You'll be helping yourself out. Just get involved. Thanks. You know, if you look at all the big podcasts these days, like the newer ones, like, like a Gillian Wallow, 
you know, drink champs. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Very uh, guest oriented. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Club Shay Shay, you know, Math Hoffa. We all know about them because they get these big guests, mm. whether it's a Cat Williams or a 21 Savage or a Kevin Durant, Young Thug, like, you know, Kodak Black, Kanye. Like, you look at these podcasts and, yeah, you like the personalities of the people doing the interviews, but it's the guests that really are the reason why those podcasts are popping the way they are. And we just mm-hmm. have to be honest with ourselves. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like there's there's different levels of podcasting or different like things that you can have as your, your goal. And like, you know, as much as I, I'm not a huge fan of them right now and you haven't been a fan of them for 10 plus years, Joe Budden mm-hmm. kind of holds the crown in hip hop for having a podcast that's just him and a bunch of other guys talking and they do very, very well on a consistent basis, which is difficult to pull up. There's a lot of people in hip hop who have very, very popular shows, but when they don't have a big guest, the numbers are looking pretty weak. Well, but even with Joe, <clears throat> sorry, but even with Joe, like the last time he sort of went viral was Umar Johnson. Right. Right. Or like the Nicki Minaj interview. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, Joe has a, a fan base for just him and his, his, you know, his crew. But when he goes over the top, it's almost always with a guest. It's mm-hmm. very rarely with just his core group of people. You see what I'm saying? Like, if it really was, he would never have guests. Right. You know, same thing with Joe Rogan. Right. Joe, People love Joe Rogan, but it's his guests. It's the, it's the Elon Musk interview that puts him over the top. I listened to a, a three-hour, four-hour Post Malone interview that Joe Rogan did when I was yeah. driving to Palm Springs. Again, a huge guest. Right. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, Joe Rogan's interview style is almost the polar opposite of what you and I are doing, where I think that you and I are neurotic enough that if we have two hours with a person, we're going to really do our research and try to come up with like the best two hours worth of questions that we're going to be able to ask. And obviously there will be shit that comes off the top of your head mm-hmm. and there will be just, you know, casual back and forth. But that Post Malone interview that I listened to Joe Rogan do there's very few moments where you would even know that he was talking to a famous person or a successful person. Like <laughs> almost no questions having anything to do with the music, what it's like to be post Malone, which is interesting. It's interesting to listen to two ridiculously rich, successful people have a conversation in which there's almost no moment where they acknowledge the gravity of their own fame. But for me, it's like, if I have two hours with the game, I want to like really do my research and try to make it the best two hours possible, which yeah. is a little different mentality. I mean, you know, Joe Rogan has a huge deal of Spotify, and I, he probably, well, he's not, his income isn't based on the views, mm. like a YouTube person like me or you is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, he has an overall deal with Spotify. As long as he brings the big guests in and people tune into his podcast, he's good. He's not worried about clipping something out and, okay, this clip will get a million views by itself. He's not worried about that. Mm. So he's approaching it a little bit differently. As long as he gets a big guest, that's kind of good enough. Right. And he gets huge guests. You know, I haven't gotten Post Malone. You know what right. I'm saying? I haven't gotten Elon Musk. And I don't think that <clears throat> Joe Rogan, I don't think Spotify is in the business of telling Joe Rogan what to do at all. I feel like if he wanted to just interview his comedian homies for the next couple of months, that they probably aren't going to really have much to say about yeah, it. We'll see. But I will <clears throat> say in both Axe Case and Joe Budden that they both made it clear that Spotify was on their ass. Like you can't skip an episode. You want to take a week off for Christmas break. No, you need to like pre-film another episode, et cetera. Like they're real serious about the output. Yeah. I mean, is a, uh... Is academic still with Spotify? Because I heard no, you No, that ended a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah right. So, 
But to be fair, they like canned a huge percentage of the people that they invested in with the podcast. Like, yeah, th- that was something that they were dumping money into for a period of time. And it seems like they got rid of almost everybody besides people yeah. who were doing like really serious numbers. Yeah, no, we had a not a deal on the table, but they had reached out to us to do a big deal. Right. And it was like pushing along, pushing along. And then like about a year ago, they were like, you know, something we're canceling all these deals. So. Mm. They, they offered us like some half-ass something and we were like, nah, we're good. Or you just upload the audio and you make money off a megaphone or yeah, whatever. Yeah, something like that. And they were going to promote it. And, but, but they weren't offering any guarantees in terms of promotion. Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, well, can you guarantee this much promotion? No. Because there's just been this world that we've been living in for the past couple of years where, you know, there's streaming contracts. There's, you know, big companies like Barstool. At one point, Barstool was offering Joe Budden's uh, podcast a huge deal. And then they do the Spotify thing. And it's like there's rumble deals and kick deals and everything. And it's like all that stuff is nice if you can get it. But it feels like at the end of the day, if you fast forward five, ten years, once like everything is settled in, it's going to be all about who's built the best business. And a lot of these deals that are available in the short term are just going to disappear the same way that those exclusive deals for Apple music or Spotify, yeah. those kind of went away. They existed for a couple of years for big artists. And then they just disappeared once mm-hmm. everything had kind of settled in, in terms of what streaming services were going to be the biggest. And that's one thing I look at with yours is that you've created a sustainable you know, business that is very reasonable. It's been able to exist for all these years. And that really is what this is all about in the long run. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I feel like as long as you're creating cool, original content, there will be other platforms that pop up over time, Mm -hmm. like Snapchat or, you know, Facebook popped up at a certain point and now it's sort of, sort of there, but not really. But, you know, YouTube is still solid. We'll see what happens with Twitter. I tried to, you know, monetize a Twitter video this morning and couldn't get it to monetize. Really? Have you? We make a couple thousand bucks a month off uh, Twitter, and we've talked about, you know, uploading more content, and hopefully it'll, you know, it seems like if there's something where you can make any money, you should kind of put some effort into it just so that potentially in the future, if it gets better, then that will be, you know, you've already established yourself there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We're, We're just focused on the video. We're focused on what we're good at and we figure that out over 16 years and you know we'll we'll see how it goes hmm. you know i'm i'm 50 right now i started at you know 36 no 34 mm-hmm. 34 and uh you know Still got a lot of years left, and we'll see how the business works out. Yeah, me and you both have that in common that our businesses didn't really hit. I didn't even start No Jumper until I was like 32, yeah. 33, which right. to a lot of people, if they've made it to 31 and they're not successful yet, they're kind of looking at it like they f***ed up and yeah. it's not going to work out. And it's like me and you are both pretty good examples of like, no, you, you got to yeah, keep you, going. you got to stay at it. You got to stay at it. And the older you get, the, the better you get at kind of working things out Mm. you know you have more wisdom behind you you know what not to do you know how to bail out of stuff quickly when you know things aren't going the way you're expecting them to go and yeah man it's been a cool ride one thing i noticed with that uh uh, what was her name vanessa uh, gloria gloria valdez valdez when i uh when i look at her content that she did for you a bunch of it went very viral and it landed on a lot of the blogs and stuff mm-hmm. like that a lot of people clipping it for tiktok whatever but then 
that didn't really impact yeah. your bottom line. Like those clips in terms of how much money they earned for you yeah. performed the same as, you know, a regular ass interview that didn't make the blogs. And that's kind of a weird new paradigm we live in because of the fact that five, six, seven years ago, if you had a viral interview, everybody would go to the YouTube channel to watch the clip. And now we live in the clip era where a lot of this stuff just gets you know repurposed on twitter or tiktok instagram and we have no yeah. ability to monetize it and that incentivizes different types of behavior because it means that a viral moment is now less valuable mm -hmm. but meanwhile if you sit down and have a really intense two three hour conversation with somebody you can't make a tiktok out of my intense three-hour emotional conversation I just had with somebody. So I think that the value of long-form content has kind of gone up because of the value of clips, even though we live in the clip age, has kind of diminished. I mean, it's hard to say. It goes both ways. Uh, this is why at one point we start kind of focusing on life story type interviews because I feel like those are sort of evergreen mm. and you can't clip them up. But I feel like the whole TikTok, YouTube shorts, Instagram, you know, short clips. I, I feel like at some point you're going to have to shut it down to a certain degree or at least allow the content creators to monetize everything. Because mm. I feel it's it's almost criminal well, what's happening. The right. fact that, you know, you spend ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 creating a piece of content. You know, I, I remember some bozo on, on TikTok ended up taking like our whole game video, you know, cause like mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, we have the member videos. So the interviews come out early just for the members. And we, you know, time and time again, someone will have a membership and then just start ripping the whole video and then just uploading the whole thing on their TikTok or uploading the whole thing on their YouTube shorts page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you essentially, and some of these clips will end up getting three, four, half a million, million views. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yo, this is getting more than my original video. I can't do anything about it. TikTok being a Chinese company, we've tried to file various strikes on pages or clips and- It doesn't really work? It doesn't really work sometimes. Yeah, yeah I mean, and it, it's just sort of like, it's annoying because I think it would just be a very simple process to say, okay, yeah, people are gonna clip it up, but if you find it, just say, okay, here's these 100 clips that technically I own let let you know let people run it but have all the monetization come back to me right but you can't do that in fact people even fight it sometimes when you try when you try to do it or mm -hmm. you know or you file copyright strikes or which you don't really want to do but then again it's just like yo like having this clip up here that's getting a million views my logo isn't on there someone else's huge ass logo is mm -hmm. and it's like yo f this page but i'd rather just monetize it but these platforms don't really want you to do that. They'd mm. rather have a whole bunch of free stolen content and have a whole bunch of kids all around the world re-uploading it and, and creating their own little, you know, little mini platforms of stolen clips. Right. And I know people are going to be mad at me saying this, but, it, but listen, if you send, spend millions of dollars creating content and then see it all over the place and your original YouTube channel isn't even breaking even, mm you would feel a different type of way. And we've know? been doing this long enough that we know that does it help your YouTube channel when somebody uploads a clip and it gets 3 million views? Not Maybe, really. potentially, really. 
realistically, probably not. People yeah. will try to tell you, like, well, you're going to get subscribers from yeah. that. It's like I'm helping to promote you. I've probably, I, I didn't ask yeah. you to help promote me. I've probably got all the subscribers that I'm going to get from the vast majority of people who watch that piece of content. You know, yeah. like most of the people who watch that piece of content already know that there's a channel called No Jumper and that they could go watch content there. And that's not really what TikTok is about. It's not about finding a cool new YouTube channel. It's no. about just flooding your brain with a bunch of really, really quick information and yeah. you know people are kind of clueless about that because they like I, I was sitting here with rainwater and he told me like you should pay nba young boy half i think he said half a million dollars for an interview i'm like what uh, what are you possibly talking about he's like think about all the subscribers you get think about how that would help your channel in the long run i'm like my channel is established enough yeah. for a brand new channel. Should they spend money on on interviews like that? Maybe like to just get this huge look. I could see the argument for people who've been doing it for a long time. This seems kind of silly. Well, I mean, look at Bootleg Kev. He had an interview with NBA Youngboy. Mm -hmm. His channel really move a lot. I would assume he probably got a bunch of subscribers, but also he's a much smaller channel too. So it's like he has a lot more room to grow. Hard to say, you yeah. know. You'd have to ask him. But I'm thinking it didn't really transform. But I don't think he paid for that interview. No, I don't think so either. So. Wow, was NBA Young Boy asking for half a million? Or no, that was just like a number just hypothetically a number that he threw yeah. out there. But I mean, yeah, <clears throat> the one interesting thing. So, would you take the journey to interview NBA Young Boy at a Grave Digger Mountain? Absolutely. I've seen it not really work out so well for quite a few people though, because Gillian Walla went there. I don't know if you watched the interview. It was rough. It's like fifteen minutes of vlog footage, and Young Boy's like kind of not talking. It's like a lot of like Gillian Wallow talking to him. And then after that, there's like a 15 minute interview of them sitting down really rough. Like young boys blatantly on drugs and Gillian Wallow are blatantly like kind of annoyed by the content that they're getting out of him. And it ends up being a 15 minute sit down, which I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, these guys did not get on a fucking airplane and fly all the way to Utah to do a 15-minute interview. Like, this is just what they ended up with. Yeah, and it's then, not up to them, though. But but then after the fact, Youngboy was tweet, or tweeting or put some message out there that was basically like, I don't want to be on camera when I'm fucked up. And there was also a, a, a clip that Gilly had where he was basically talking about people being big-headed and wanting to change the rules at the last minute and stuff like that, which I totally perceived as being a Youngboy slight. So my read on it is basically that they went up there thinking they were going to do this great full-length interview he ends up being all fucked up and then his team basically shuts down them putting out anything besides this like quick little 15 minute sit down i was just like that's got to be humiliating and slash frustrating as for guys like them who are super yeah. solidified in the industry to be having the artist jerk them around like that we've all gone through it i remember my first interview with little wayne was sort of like that he didn't really want to talk about nothing he would kind of brush off questions mm. and, you know it happens man especially with a certain level of like celebrity when they have handlers around them and pr people around them you know this is why i like to you know this is why i've, I've built up my, my crew of you know repeat guests where it's like okay i i know that we could go where i want to go mm. with, with these interviews i don't have to sit there and have someone be like no don't ask that you know and, oh no like we want to see the footage first we want to you know make you jump through a bunch of hoops and you know you you have to do that with certain people but it's not a lot of fun at the right. end of the day definitely yeah it's like just dealing with people who want to be treated like prima donnas versus you having a conversation with boosie who's just a grown-ass man and yeah. if he doesn't like something that you ask him he's probably gonna tell you real quick yeah. it's easy to work through he's just like 
so people would consider him to be like this egotistical, like crazy no, dude. But the way yeah, that he the acts with the interviews and stuff is seems very reasonable. No, he's he's professional, you know, and, and I, I try to be the same way. Like if I'm interviewing at a platform, it's like I am here to do a job. I am here to perform. Mm. Uh, I understand that there's cameras and there's money being spent and. uh you know, it, it's a, it's a, has a real audience associated with it. So I'm going to treat it as so mm. it's, it's a job. And, uh, some people don't look at it that way, mm. but you should. I was thinking about just like the shelf life of the content we're creating in general too, because all right, like there's been many times where I looked at what act does of just sitting on stream and dissecting topics. And for sure he's harnessed a gigantic audience with that. Mm-hmm. And that has a lot of value, but a lot of that content after it's like brief period of time where it's relevant kind of ceases to be all that relevant versus an interview with someone, you know, we both have interviews that we've done that many and act as interviews too. So it's not about that, but it's like those interviews many years later are still pulling hundreds of thousands or millions of views per year. And there's, there's something very, very thrilling about creating evergreen timeless content in particular because you really don't know, you could guess, but you really don't know what is going to be the stuff that ends up being evergreen while you're doing it. Typically, you kind of, you kind of know. Sometimes. You kind of know. Like, I know, like, when I sat down with game for like two and a half hours, and me and him go back 20 years, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But we've never actually, we've done some interviews here and there, but we've never actually sat down and said, okay, we're really going to get into it for two plus hours. It's like, okay, this is... There's a time capsule. Mm. Like if you want to hear games, life story, this is the best version of that that exists at this very moment. Mm. You can go and do a documentary afterwards and it could be a hundred times better. But right now in 2024, this is the best. You know, if you want to know about games, whole story, there's no better version than a Vlad TV interview that I did with game. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. Definitely. One of the, existential threats that a lot of people have kind of pointed to in terms of what we do is artists choosing to go do appearances on platforms like Kai Sanat, which aren't really like journalistic in nature. And you can see how to a superstar like Nicki Minaj, she might not necessarily want to go do an interview in which she feels like she's going to be asked all these tough questions about the details of her career versus her being able to go pull up on somebody like Kai, who's just going to laugh, have fun, keep it real easy. And, uh, you know, like Elliot uh, went viral for having his take on this and basically saying that artists should, uh, you know, honor hip hop outlets more and, you know, actually uh, deal with people who are trying to do real journalism. Like, how do do you feel about that? I I mean, I mean, I know where, where Elliot's coming from because Elliot's like a, you know, he's been doing it longer than I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to go to XXL as a DJ to try to get coverage on my mixtapes mm-hmm. you know, when he was the editor-in-chief over there. So I understand why he would say that, but I also fully understand what Kai Sinat does. It's almost like a 106 in Park. Mm-hmm. Kind of go there, play your music, have fun, party. You know, there's, there's room for both. There's always going to be room for both. Mm-hmm. And I think that, Elliot probably wanted a Nicki Minaj interview. I mean, who doesn't want a Nicki Minaj interview? Right. Even with what I've said about Nicki, I would still like a Nicki Minaj interview. If it could happen, it probably won't. But people are going to say, people going to, you know, what they're going to say. And, but, but I, I admire what Kai has pulled off in a relatively short period of time. Mm. And he's built a real following and he's done it differently than you and I. And, uh, 
you know, at one point he DM'd me to do an interview. He wanted really? to do an interview, and then we hit him back, and then he didn't answer, and then I think he started to really blow up after yeah, that. I did one of his first interviews back in the day that ended up getting like six million views or something yeah. like that. So that that's an example for me of like latching on to somebody like really early, early on yeah, and early. just boom, ended up being this evergreen content for us. Yeah, man. Listen, there's uh, you could be the old man on the porch, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you telling telling the kids, the young whippersnappers to you know to stop playing that loud music, or you could be the old man on the porch that you know, goes in business with those kids that are playing the loud music mm. and, you know, shares their information, you know, his information with them, which is what I've always tried to do. I've always tried to embrace all the new uh, up and coming interviewers. Mm. You know, some of them don't embrace me and <laughs> that's fine. But for the most part, when you look at the landscape of important hip hop interviewers, you know, in the space right now, I'm cool with most of them. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm going to do drink champs next time in Miami. Me and Nori squash a little dumb beef. You, academics, uh, Sean Cotton, Charlemagne, uh, Math Hoffa, you know, pretty much everybody. Mm. Pretty much everybody. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, the other night I was watching a clip of you and Math Hoffa talking, and you were sort of like listing off all of the prevalent interviewers in the hip hop space and the fact that my name was like very early in that discussion I don't know I was kind of like in a moment where maybe like reading a few too many negative comments had kind of like you know diminished my uh, self-esteem at that moment a little bit and in that moment just hearing myself discussed in that uh, category I was just like you know what you're doing all right. Like, you know, regardless of how you might feel during today's controversy, that means a lot to me that uh, you guys both were quick to have my name thrown in there. I mean, you know, you earned it. Look around you. You know, what are you approaching 5 million subscribers? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and you built your niche. You know, like, I pretty much left the porn interviews alone. You've, <laughs> you jumped in at right in. <laughs> you jumped in and, and more than jumped in. Yeah. You know, and that's, and you, you, you've shown that it's a viable kind of thing where you could do the adult content, but you're still getting, you know, mainstream people coming in and and you could kind of juggle both Mm. without the stigma of one kind of overshadowing the other. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, everyone leans into like everyone who does well leans into what it is in terms of who they are Mm. and what makes them different from everyone else. I feel like the reason why a lot of these radio DJs aren't really relevant in today's um, you know, industry is because they really try to be very even keel, not ask the tough questions, keep it very light, you know, just stick to, you know, a few little sound bites from the new album and, and that's it. Mm. And it's just like, it makes for boring content. But what you just described is actually, it kind of sounds like what Kai Sinat does. Keeps it light, keeps it fun, but it's, it's really fun. Whereas like a radio right. interview is not really not fun. fun yeah. It's a conversation, but it's also not a conversation about the things that are obviously interesting. Whereas me and you, we try to hone in on yeah. what's the interesting shit here. And a lot of people will give us shit for, you know, being feds or getting a little too controversial or whatever. Do you feel like I think you become more controversial than I have. I think so too. And I want to bring especially, that up. Especially especially with this new thing. Me me and Big U had a conversation yesterday. Well, how's that? Well, like, I, I wouldn't have put out what you put out. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Saying that that Big U was somehow involved in Nipsey's death, like, I'm pretty sure you know that's not true. 
I don't think it's true either. It was kind of putting me in a weird position because Wack brought this guy on the podcast and he ended up saying all this out of pocket shit. And I yeah. kind of couldn't rationalize just like not releasing the episode in particular because I felt like Wack would probably be out of here if I didn't release the whole episode. I, I would have not released it. I'm going to reprimand Wack about that today and give him a, my thoughts on how I, we I, I move have not forward. Released it. And you know, me and Wack are cool these days. So, mm. so it's not like this is in no, in no way a shot at Wack, but. Saying someone was involved in the murder of someone, of anyone, without really extremely solid 100% proof mm. of that. Because I call Big U, because me and Big U were cool yesterday, and he he um, got, what's, what's the dude's name, Loose Cannon? Loose Cannon. He put his wife on the phone with us. Okay. He's still technically married. And she was like, this is all bullshit. Wait, Loose Cannon's wife got on the phone with you and Big U? Yes. And said that she doesn't believe it. She, she, no, not only does she not believe it, but she's like, it's a hundred percent false. That's interesting that yes. she's sat here and let her man say it. Well, they're still technically married. Right. They're separated. Okay. There's some domestic abuse. Oh, another woman. Not the one who was sitting here with no, him. No, 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 okay, no. Okay. Okay. No. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know who was sitting with her. I'm talking about the woman he's still technically married to. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, this is all bullshit. And now her kid is being dragged into this. You know, they're posting pictures of her kid online and stuff. Well, their kid, because it's Luce Cannon's kid. As right. Well. They, they have a child together. So, um, yeah, man, it's it's one of those things. And, and you got to be careful as well, because, you know, now, now you're sort of playing into the defamation, you know, waters here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, just because you didn't say it, bringing in a guest that says some outlandish shit that really can't be proven, that's kind of like how the Cardi B-Tasha K thing came together. Mm. It's not like Tasha went and said, Cardi B has diseases and blah, blah, blah. She brought in a woman who claimed she knew Cardi B and spouted off a whole bunch of nonsense, which ended up being not true. And Tasha's the one that got sued. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I think Tasha should have been able to beat that. She got a really shitty legal team. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. Tasha's lied about me before. Really? Like, yeah. Mm. yeah what, what kind of stuff she say about you? I can't remember. Oh, I, I remember she she went off on this whole tirade about how she knows for a fact that that I uh, provide um, video footage to the authorities to to try to bust black people. Mm. And I'm like, that's just not true. And I remember I, I had our lawyers reach out to her, and she like wants to get me on the phone, and I'm like. I don't, I don't want to get on the phone. Like, this is just a lie. Mm. So she grudgingly took it down with a whole bunch of cues in the email and, oh, you're attacking a woman and that, that type of nonsense. Mm. So for us, I just really, yeah, I don't, I don't rock with Tasha after that, which is weird because early on, I actually, she was one of the people I reached out to when she was kind of buzzing. I was like, yo, congratulations on her success. And you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. If you ever want to talk, like whatever else. And I was nothing but nice to her early on in her career to, to have someone turn around and somehow start lying about me there's a bunch of lies i remember once she says something like a corn of lad revolt is going out of business and i'm like <clears throat> the fuck? i never said that right like you know just just making up stuff like mm. literally out of the blue and uh yeah man um that's a weird one that the more popular you get the more that people feel comfortable just completely inventing statements on your behalf like i always have people say that at one point, I was planning on getting out of hip hop, and that I th that I was planning on moving in a comedy direction, in a politics direction, 
and I will have people say that to my face and I'll be like, where did you hear me say that? And nobody has ever been able to provide an example of me saying it. But for some reason, I will see people having full conversations about this online yeah. as if this actually left my mouth. Why would I ever be like, I'm not going to with hip hop anymore? I've done stuff in politics and all kinds of different yeah. shit. But the idea that I would say that is pretty bizarre. And you'd think that there would have to be a receipt. I don't know. Maybe they're confusing with Kid Rock or something like that. <laughs> Examples of, you know, white kids who started out with hip-hop. Well, if you want to get to 100 clips a day, there's an angle. Yeah. You start doing all the country singers. All the country singers. There's, there's a lot of them these days. They're kind of running shit. Yeah. I mean, I I, I was interviewing uh, this dude, Mona Ike from O-Block, the other day, and he just starts talking about uh, he likes uh, Morgan Whalen. And I'm yeah. just like, really? I'm like, so you just listen to a little Dirk song with him, and now you're a country fan. He's like, yeah, I listen to his songs. I'm like... That's crazy. But he's also, Morgan's also all over like the Spotify top 50. Right. You know, so if you're listening to like, you know, if you're just a general music fan like I am, and you just want to hear what the new music is, mm. Morgan is going to be all over <laughs> your playlist. My girl listens to that shit, and I'm always astounded by the way it sounds so much like rap music these days with the, little bit, the yeah. drums and the. A little bit. Listening to Lil Dirk and Morgan Wallen side by side, it's kind of like yeah. you're doing different <laughs> things, but it's not that it's different. It's complimentary, yeah. Yeah. That tripped me out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The kid from O Block listening to him, though. I figured he had to get into him from uh, from Dirk. But um, yeah, O Block's not doing too well right now. The, the O Block 6 yeah. just got convicted. That was rough. Yeah. What was that like for you to see it? Were you, you weren't aware of any of these guys beforehand, I'm assuming. Yeah. Well, by new FBG Duck. Right. I interviewed him twice. Mm. In both interviews, I said that you should move out of Chicago. Yeah. And in both interviews, he argued with me about it, mm. only to be murdered in Chicago in an area that nobody ever thought you'd, you'd be in danger. Right. You know, it's like a Rodeo Drive of Chicago. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, it, it blows my mind that in, I mean, when did this happen? 2022? So 21, 21, maybe? something like 21, that. Yeah. that in, in 2021, six people can get together and feel they can get away with the murder of a high-profile rapper Mm. in downtown Chicago and get away with it. Right. You know, I mean, I understand people get angry and there's tempers and, you know, you do things at the spur of a moment, but you're talking about six people were involved and they have text messages and cars being used and getaway drivers. And like, you really think y'all going to get away with this mm. in, in 2021 with cell phones and cameras everywhere with Chicago being what it is. This is not in a cornfield somewhere in Iowa. You, right. know, you just leave a dead body there and you just. I think that this is an example of dudes who I'm not saying that the dudes who got picked up for this, that they necessarily like killed a bunch of people before, but a huge percentage of the murders in Chicago go unsolved. So I feel like that's probably an example of these dudes thinking that they could just get away with whatever. Meanwhile, you commit this kind of crime in this sort of public area, the yeah. cops are going to like very much take serious interest in it. Yeah, you can't, you can't, I mean, listen, you shoot, shoot somebody in a back alley somewhere mm. and that person might not have some family or, or, you know, this might be a homeless person or, or, you know, someone that doesn't have an audio, you know, a, a fan base, but but you shoot someone in the middle, you know, in front of the Fendi store right. with, with you know, 
upper end shoppers being terrified and running for their lives and saying, I'm never going back to the street again because there was a mm. shooting last time I went there. You know, stores possibly going out of business, messing up, you know, the finance of that city. They're going to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. And, and mm-hmm. look, for example, like, you know, one of my security in New York is active NYPD. And he told me flat out that the news affects the cases that they prioritize. Yeah. His sergeant will come in and say, okay, New York Daily News just covered this murder. So everyone, I'm going to put extra resources over here, blah, blah. If no one reports on the shit. I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll try to solve it, but they're not going to put the same level of attention. They're not going to put the same amount of manpower. So mm-hmm. FBG Duck, yeah, he wasn't, you know, Kanye, but he was a known rapper mm-hmm. in Chicago. He had millions of followers, millions of views, like, and it's done in a very high profile area. And his mom is making a fuss out of it. And, you know, she's doing interviews and that type of thing. If you- I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, it, it's just mind blowing that you would even want to be involved in something like that. Right. You know, if that someone told me, Hey, I'm going to go kill so-and-so. No, I'm good. Well, allegedly there's <laughs> a bunch just, of, I don't know who this is. Allegedly there's a bunch of money on the table for them. If they uh, successfully okay. pulled that right, off a hundred thousand, I heard. Well, I split, mean, split between six people. What is that? Like 15,000 a person. I mean, a lot of good that does them now, even if they got yeah. paid seriously, yeah. seriously, a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand over a high profile murder. That seems like the deal of a lifetime for whoever put that money up. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just, it's so unbelievably low compared to the ramifications. Right. And on top of it, what if they actually say who put that money up? Mm. Now you're you're putting your own, you know, the rest of your life, you know, up on the line. If that comes back to you as a murder for hire. Well, there's a lot of people who think that Vaughn would have been indicted or there would be some kind of RICO charge, that, you know, yeah. based on this specific thing, which I don't know if there's the actual Duck thing. Yeah. I don't know if there's actual but evidence. Duck died after Vaughn. Right. So. But like the money could have previously been put up. Obviously, there's like associates with, but, you know, there's a lot of people who think that that would have been how that played out. I, I don't know, man. I've heard rumors, but I, I've, I've never... I can't tell you specifically this is what Vaughn did or didn't do. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not going to put that on there. No, definitely. But watching something like that go down, it puts you in a little bit of a weird position, right? Because on one hand, you're so shocked by the pure horror of the fact that this could take place. But at the same time, you and I have both been in this game long enough that we've seen this take place, even just in Chicago, over and over and over, back and forth. And... It's kind of hard to even summon the courage to post an Instagram story saying this needs to stop when you know that there are these root causes of it that seem like they're going to prevent it from stopping. It's sad, man. And people need to take it upon themselves to realize that they're humans and they're not trees. Mm. You know what I'm saying? If you're a tree, you're, you're stuck where you are, right? You're not going anywhere. If you're a human, you can go wherever the hell you want. Mm. And if you're, you know, I've, I've, I've lived in the hood before and I'm like, F- this place, I'm not, I'm not built for this. I'm not going outside every morning and dealing with beef with the people who live on the same block. Mm. I've dealt with that before. It's dumb. It's, it's a horrible way to live. And 
at, at the end of the day, I understand that not everyone's rich and everyone has, you know, people have responsibilities and so forth, but there's nothing more important than your life. There's no price tag that can be put on you seeing tomorrow. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't think too many people take a billion dollars today to die tomorrow. Oh, no. You know what I mean? A hundred billion. I don't know a single person that would take a hundred billion dollars today and know that they will die tomorrow. The only way you could even justify it would be to say, well, if I if my kids or my family can have that money, okay. then maybe it's worth sacrificing and myself. And I right? think when it comes down to it, they might double guess it <laughs> on the last minute, unless yeah. unless they just feel they have nothing to live for at all. Mm. And they, they hate their life and they're thinking about suicide anyways. But any person who reasonably likes their, their own life doesn't want to die. Mm. And if you know that there's a reasonable chance of you dying because there's been so many instances of violence around you, you know, Duck has gotten shot. His brother got killed, mm. you know, a few years before he got killed. He, he knows there's a target on his back. He knows he's doing songs like Dead Bitches and he's, he's poking the bear. Um, why, why stay in Chicago? Right. At, at that point, you say... All right, L.A., Vegas, Atlanta, Miami. Yeah. I mean, you really think that, that those dudes from O Block were going to buy plane tickets and all go down there to go find you in, in, in Vegas? That's not going to happen. Mm. It's a crime of opportunity. Yo, Duck is here. He, he's in front of the Fendi store. Oh, word, hold on. We're, we're two miles away. Let me, uh, you know, let me go, you know, which I guess is kind of what happened, right, based on the trial. Mm. Okay, yeah, we're, we're, we, we could go get him right now within the next 20 minutes. Oh, Doug, Doug is in Vegas. He's at the Bellagio. Okay, let me go get a plane ticket and uh, fly to Vegas and uh, hang out at the Bellagio for three, four days, hoping I'll see him. Oh, he's not here anymore. Mm. I've just wasted all, You know what I mean? Like, who, who, who's going to do this? Right. And have the paper trail of you going out to Vegas. You know what I'm saying? It's just like most of these guys who are smart like the boosies of the world or the dirks of the world they just move mm. and, and they're you know chief keef have you heard of a single instance of chief keef having problems with chicago guys since he moved he doesn't really even talk about gang shit really you know? yeah the last violent situation i heard with chief keef was over the the takashi 69 situation where he got shot at in new york right but that has nothing to do with Chicago, technically. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So, I don't know, man. And like, according I, I to was, the shooter, it wasn't really that serious of an attempt on his life. He said, yeah, he, I, I interviewed him. And, yeah, I know. And, and when <laughs> I talked to Chief Keefe after that happened, that was his response, too. Is he said, man, that dude was shooting in the sky. <laughs> that was his response. Like he wasn't, he wasn't bothered at all. He didn't consider it a sincere attack on his life, which I guess that's what happens if you send like a non-killer no offense, on a mission, it's pretty likely. Like, you ever read this stuff about, like, the Civil War and how many of the bullets actually made contact with other people? It's like you put all these people in front of each other that have no real reason to want to kill each other, and you give them guns and you tell them to shoot each other. A lot of them end up shooting up because really? they don't really want to be killers. You should do a Google on that later because huh. it's, it's fascinating how people are actually really, really resistant to killing other people. Yeah, I mean, it's not natural. Yeah. You don't want to do it. Yeah, man. But look, I mean, everyone who who's reading the, you know, watching this right now, if you have serious problems, you you feel that your life, you know, is in realistic danger. Go go somewhere else. Mm. 
point blank period, just leave. Okay? If you have family you leave behind, then you leave them behind. Maybe you can slowly bring them over at some point. Mm. You know, how often do family members get killed over a beef that someone has with you? Like, that's even a bigger rarity. Right. Yeah, yes, it happens. I get it. But 99.9% of the time, you leave, you, you live your, the rest of your life somewhere else. Mm. But my, part of my... Uh realization I had from having the conversation with his mom was just how entrenched in Chicago street life she was and how she clearly passed a lot of that on to her son. And like, this is just a world that to them is so second nature. And I can imagine how moving off to California and kind of being away from your parents, away from your family, I can understand how it wouldn't feel all that appealing to him, but you also got to acknowledge that it's kind of like unprecedented for a drill rapper to get as successful and as famous as duck did and not leave Chicago because yeah. most of these guys you talk to g- get to a hundred thousand followers and they'll do whatever yeah. they got to do. And, and it doesn't have to be that far. You might move 40 minutes out of town, but that's probably going to reduce your likelihood of getting killed by 90%. Well, listen, there's certain areas I don't go to. Hmm. You know, don't go I, to Compton a lot. Nah, mm. don't go to Compton. Don't go to certain parts of LA. Don't go to certain restaurants. There are certain restaurants in Inglewood that I like. If I pull up and I see like like a group of people in front that might recognize me and it might turn into a thing, and I'm by myself, I'll go eat somewhere else. It's all good. It's not that serious. Yeah, I'm not going to Inglewood to go get dinner by myself. Yeah. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to Englewood, but that I just like doesn't Englewood. seem necessary. I, I, I yeah. stay out there, you know, my friend. Uh, so, yeah, I got restaurants I like out there. But, yeah, I don't hang out out there because before you know it, it could turn into a, a bad situation. Mm. I mean, a la um, PNB Rock. Yeah. Was just getting some chicken and waffles and the worst possible situation happens. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not even like an actual beef sometimes. It's sometimes just a crime of opportunity. Right. I could rob this guy. This guy's got a, you know, nice nice car, you know, might have a nice watch on. Like, I'm cool, man. I've, 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 I've made it this far. Is that <laughs> part know? of why you don't wear jewelry? Uh, I mean, I wear jewelry, you know, right. nice, nice watch right now, but I don't wear it out like all the time. Right. I, I wear it for specific situations. I assume if you ended up at the Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles without security in the middle of wherever, that you probably wouldn't I, have I, your I big even, ass chain out, I, right? I wouldn't even eat there. I might. I would go to the one in Hollywood if that's really what I wanted, mm-hmm. or I would just call in, have a pickup order, grab it, jump jump in my car, and be out. We uh, went to the one in Hollywood the other day, and I had a trans waitress. Oh. Which was a little surprising. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Shout out to her. Yeah, shout out to all the trans people. She's probably there. had to endure a, a little bit of abuse over the years, I'm, I'm guessing. I but mean, I think being trans is hard yeah. in today's world. And, you know, I salute people who feel strongly enough to to undergo whatever people's feelings are because they feel that's really who they are inside. Mm. You know, I mean, I've interviewed trans people before, like Sydney Starr and so mm. forth. Hey, man, uh, I'm, I'm supportive in, in whatever their journey is. Right. Um, I've, ha- I've done a couple of different interviews with men who say that they are straight men who are dating trans women. Yeah, they're gay. <laughs> yeah. Is that simple to you? Yeah, they're just gay. Mm. That's cool, man. Be gay. Get your gay on. You know, <laughs> I have gay friends. Shout out to, you know, Jason from Hollywood Unlocked. Right. You know, I feel like Jason <laughs> Lee 
If we're going to just sort of defer to our uh, homosexual friend, Jason, I feel like he would probably acknowledge that there's something kind of inherently gay about Yeah, they're gay. Right? Be gay. You know what I mean? Let your gay flag wave around. You know? Do your gay thing. It's not out yet, but I had someone say a sentence to me that was one of the most shocking sentences I've heard in a while. I had a guy on here, and he's his his father is from a motorcycle gang, and he was doing crazy shit, clubbing people in the head with pipes and shit when he was 12 years old with his dad to collect on debts, that kind of stuff. And he said, he's like talking about how disappointed he was that his dad sort of disowned him once he started being in a serious relationship with this trans woman. And he said, like, you know, my dad disowned me. It doesn't make me fucking gay just because I like to suck my girlfriend's dick sometimes. Yeah, that's gay. <laughs> <laughs> it don't get much more gay than that. That sentence, I was yeah, just like, that's, that's holy That's 100% fuck. gay. <laughs> Nothing straight about it. Right. Um, it's just gay. You know, that's cool, man. Be gay. Get your gay on. I totally support him in his way of life, but it's yeah. like if you're going to go around calling yourself straight, that's going to be <laughs> difficult for a lot of people to comprehend. I mean, look, in prison... If you have a man suck your dick, that's not considered gay. Mm. Or if you fuck a dude in the ass, that's not considered gay. But if you get fucked, that is gay. So, you know, <clears throat> people going to paint their house differently. You know what I mean? But if the house is pink, the house is pink. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you can call it some other color. Mm. You know, it's light rose or, or whatever you want to call it, but it's still pink. Yeah. You're gay. And, and that's cool, man. Be gay. E- everyone has their own thing. I, I like women. Always have, always will. That's my thing. Mm. But if you are into both men and women or just men, do you, man. It's, we're, we're, we're in a place where we're at a time that is most supported now than any time in history. Mm. Right? I would say, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Lil Nas X would be an underground rapper. Well, it would be a one-hit wonder right now if he didn't start being extra gay, mm-hmm. I feel. I feel that, that that profoundly affected his career in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because even Old Town Road, he's even talking about cheating on girls. You mm-hmm. know, and afterwards he, okay, no, I'm gay, and let me just do the real gay thing here. And look at him. Dave Chappelle's talking about him in, you know, specials, and he's got a bunch of hit songs, and yeah. All he has to do, every single time he rolls out an album or a song, all he has to do is... Do some Satan adjacent shit. Mm-hmm. Do some gay ass shit, and then the whole conservative ecosystem will yeah. just jump into attack mode yeah, to, and promote, to promote it. <laughs> and like the new song that he put out, uh, Jay Christ, I was like digging into it a little bit, and he's he's kind of trying to like be meta with it and acknowledge that that's what he's doing, and that like you know in order for him to do a comeback song or whatever that he kind of has to like trigger people in this manner or whatever. To me, it feels like it's getting. Very stale, very quickly, especially because the new single is not very good. Yeah, I mean, you could troll your way a certain percentage of the way, but you can't really troll your way into a music career that maintains. Mm -hmm. You could troll your way into one song, but to have a real fan base, you have to have you know a certain degree of musical talent. And it feels like in this day and age, though, the musical product is only a very small part or only really needs to be a small part of what, but of what makes somebody like Lil Nas X famous. 
I feel like he could probably start a clothing line tomorrow, and if he just stopped making music and the clothing line made sense and it worked with this character that he's built for himself, eh. that we would all very easily move on from thinking of him as a rapper. Like the rap, the, the fact that he has a couple songs that we know just really kind of seems like incidental to his success. He's a clever, smart, famous young guy that is, you know, yeah, kind of beloved. I don't know that the music is the most important part. I mean, how many rappers have started clothing lines that have gone nowhere? Right. I you mean, know, most of them have gone nowhere. There's got to be something for Lil Nas X out well, there. If he I became mean, a YouTuber or a uh, podcaster. Well, look at, um, what's the name of that one trans uh, person? He's white. Akon signed him before. Oh, Jeffree Star. Jeffree Star. Mm. Right. So I remember Akon was telling me about Jeffree Star early, like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I got this uh, you know, this trans guy, and you know, he's making this like really eclectic music and everything else like that. I mean, the music didn't work, mm. but but the makeup did, right? And now he's like a multimillionaire from the makeup, and Akon still gets a piece of that. Mm. But you got to come up with something that's viable. Mm. You can't just say, "Okay, I'm just going to come up with a clothing line because I don't want to rap anymore." Like everyone has clothing lines, and most of which 99 percent of them go out of business. Mm. But if you have something like a, a makeup line that people really take to. Like, look what Rihanna has done. She doesn't do music anymore either. Like right. Dre's done with Beats by Dre. Like, you know, you got to have something that makes sense, that really <clears throat> that really is, like, exceptional mm. in the space. And then you could really say, okay, I don't want to rap anymore. I don't want to act anymore. I, I'm just focusing on this. But you can't just say, okay, I'm not going to rap anymore. I'm just going to create a clothing line. I know that will blow up as big as I was a rapper. No, it'll probably flop. Right. I just feel like Lil Nas X is talented enough that he could probably take his talents in other directions. But I also, I kind of wonder. Hard to say. I wonder to what extent him seeming like he was gigantic for a few years there was kind of the product of just having the label, uh, you know, orchestrating the uh, the puppet show for us and like making stuff seem a lot bigger than it is because many times over the years I've seen what artist numbers look like when they have that full label push and then they put out an album without the label and you're going through uh, yeah. and you're just kind of astonished by like, oh, so this is what your numbers really look like when you don't have Atlantic shoving you down people's throats? Well, I mean, Old Town Road was a legitimate viral hit with yeah. really no label behind it. Billy Ray Cyrus jumped on it because it was the song was hot to death. I feel like the label was very instrumental in making that nah, song as big as it was. I don't think so. Uh, now, I, I, everyone I knew that heard that song loved that song. But the that song was clearly a hit. The label conspired to make that song as prevalent in society as it was, I think. Hard to say. Right. Hard to say. But Billy Ray jumping on it, and it was legitimately a good song. Yeah. I would say it was a great song. But when the label has a great song that they know has legs and will go viral, they're happy to spend a billion dollars on it because they know that they might bring $2 billion back. Possibly. But and when they know, have a bunch of bullshit, when you turn in an album and they don't really care for it, they won't do as much for you. Yeah. But that song did big numbers on its own. Like everyone loved that song from the little kids to adults to, mm -hmm. to country fans to hip-hop fans to pop fans to rock fans it was just you know lightning in a bottle that it just worked and i mean you could almost say that country music is where it is right now because of that song that that, that song kind of kicked off the country music pop hip-hop crossover that's think about interesting it. yeah think about a name me a country song before old town road that know. anyone gave a shit about not last. much of a country guy over here 
Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so the fact that no songs hit your radar mm. before Old Town Road, and now you're talking about Morgan, you know, uh, Whelan? Whalen, 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 or Wallen, Wallen, yeah, Wallen, Wallen you know, out, or or you know, Nick Cannon's Wallen out, yeah, no, or, or the the season of the stick, season of the stick song, which I think is a dope song. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? No, you ever heard that song? Mm-mm. It's a big song. It's like the number two song in the country right now. Oh Jesus, yeah, it's a country song. It's a dope song, mm. very well written. You know what I'm saying? Like quality is quality. You could sit there and and put whipped cream on it, but if there's shit under the whipped cream, once you taste it, it's still going to taste like shit. Right. So, yeah. Shout out to Lil Nas X, man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what he does. Right. He definitely has been very good at trolling and, you know, making a lot of noise mm. and keep, you know, and if he only had 15 minutes of fame, he's extended it quite a bit. Definitely. Your own personal media diet, how much time do you spend consuming content that is basically like produced by your peers and other people in the same business, same niche as you versus watching stuff that kind of goes outside of that? That's more big picture. I know you watch a lot of movies and, you know, high highbrow TV shows and stuff like that. How do you kind of think of that? And is there something fundamentally different about you watching this high production Netflix series versus you watching, you know, the Cat Williams interview that is basically like a guy, you know, doing an interview with some other guy that you maybe don't know, but you, you know, certainly could I've, end I've, up. I've, you know, I've talked to both. Okay. Shannon Sharp and Cat Williams. You know what I'm saying? Do you I, feel I, like something fundamentally different is happening in your brain when you're consuming just sort of like podcast content versus high production content? That you can escape into. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. Unless I'm in research mode, I almost never listen to other people's podcasts. Mm. And and partly it's not it's not a dig at what anyone else does because there's a lot of people that are great at what they do. It's just that, like, I'm responsible for a lot of the titles for my own content, so mm. I have to rewatch a lot of my own content so much. Okay. So it's just like between watching my own content over and having to watch other and and, and having to watch other people's stuff when I'm researching. It doesn't give a lot of time left for me just leisurely to sit there and watch other people's interviews. Mm. So usually I am watching more Netflix produced stuff like that. Mm. Um, but like, like I haven't watched the Cat Williams oh, you Shannon Sharp interview. No, not not in detail. I watched a few clips. Right. But I haven't watched the whole thing from beginning, beginning to end. And I understand it's a big interview. So. That was one that I actually went out and did like two hours of cardio while listening to it because I just was like, all right, I got to figure out what the f- everybody's talking about. I was yeah. like a day late after everybody else. I was yeah. like, I got, I got to figure out what this is all about. Yeah, man. It's a big interview, you know? And, and what's interesting is like, <clears throat> like if you do the math, you realize the, the chess that Cat Williams was playing mm. because at 50 million views, I've never seen any of you do those kind of numbers. Yeah, ever. It's, it's a big number. But when you think about it, 50 million views is what, maybe a quarter million dollars? It's about $10,000 per million per million views. Or I, I've heard you say 5,000. I feel like it depends on if it's long or short. I feel like for a long piece of content, 10,000 per million views probably okay. makes sense. So half a million dollars? Yeah. Right, a quarter million to half a million made. Cat probably does that in one show. Mm-hmm. Right. When he does the huge stadiums that he's been doing recently. So he's the one that really won. You know, I mean, and Shannon, I'm sure, is very happy to have the interview on his platform. But Kat is the one that really is going to ultimately make the most money Mm. out of this whole situation. It's wild because 
I went on Social Blade and looked at uh, Shannon Sharp subscribers when that interview came out, and I, I think the number's like half a million. You got like half a million subscribers. Oh, new subscribers? Insane number. Yeah, but think about that's a new platform that a lot of people, myself included, didn't even know about prior yeah. to this. Yeah, Sh- Shannon, when I met Shannon, he said he would do Vlad TV, and then he just kind of never did it. You probably get a lot of that, huh? Yeah, I'll do it. And then I don't know why people do that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember I ran into uh, Kevin Gates at the grocery store. I'm like, yo, you know, it's been some years since we did an interview and we just were chopping up. He's like, uh, he's like, nah, I'm not really doing a lot of interviews right now. I'll be honest with you, bro. Mm. And, you know, he, I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I, I got his assistant's number. And like, all right, cool. We'll stay in contact. I, I'd rather have people just tell me flat out. Like, yeah, you know, not right now. Mm. As opposed to, yeah, I got you. Let's do it. Then you're, you're sitting there wasting time and resources. If you had an artist signed to you, what would you tell them about what interviews to do and how often to do it? Because it feels like your interview strategy for an artist these days is pretty important. Uh, And you could easily blow yourself out, make yourself look like you're not important by doing too many interviews. Uh, How would you advise an artist in that regard? I mean, an interview with someone that nobody's ever heard of who doesn't have a, an extremely exceptional story is just not going to do numbers for anyone involved. Mm. It's going to be a waste of time for the interviewer and the interviewee. And then on top of that, as you start to build, when you try to get other interviews, they're going to look at the numbers of that, those previous interviews and, and possibly pass mm. because of how low those numbers are. So not everyone is meant to be in front of the camera talking. There's lots of huge artists like Kendrick or J. Cole who really just never do interviews Mm -hmm. at all. 21 just put an album out, didn't do any interviews. Didn't do a single interview. Not one. Doesn't need to. Doesn't need to. And on the Drake and 21 album that they put out prior to that, they actually kind of like lampooned the media world that we live in right now because they yeah. did the fake Tiny Desk concert, the fake Howard Stern interview, the, the fake, fake Vogue, Vogue cover. cover yeah. So it was kind of like their way of saying, "Yeah, we're not doing interviews. We don't need y'all. Yeah. And you're and, all going to pay attention to and, us anyway. And they don't. And, yeah. and they don't. Not everyone needs interviews. But for a number of people, interviews have transformed their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like people like Mob James where I gave him his first big interview and that turned into a whole podcast career. Um, lots of people that we've, you know, like a Tony Yayo, mm. who, I mean, Tony Yayo is Tony Yayo and we all acknowledge that, but he was very quiet for about a decade. Mm-hmm. He didn't see him. He, he didn't put out a lot of music. He, you know, he didn't put his face in front of the camera. I brought him on Vlad TV and it, it blew up. But then from then on, he was drink champs. Uh, Breakfast Club, Math Hoffa, you know, he's now like a regular on the interview circuit. And with that comes more shows, more streams, more everything. You know, he realized that, hey, there's something here. People actually want to hear what I have to say. And he has a personality for that. But Mm. you take a brand new rapper and you put him in front of the camera. um, And there's not a big cosign involved. There's not another big artist sitting next to him. You, you know what I'm saying? Like I've done interviews with some of Boosie's artists and when he's there is very different than when he's not there. Mm. You see what I'm saying? When he's sitting next to the artist, people are paying more attention, but if it's the artist by themselves, it ends up not doing very well. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of times you need to build up to the point of even doing an interview, which may take years. Right. You probably shouldn't do any interviews leading up to that. 
But comes down to the story. You know, Scarlett, we interviewed her. It's still getting millions of views. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And then she got a big record deal right afterwards. And, you know, I'm sure the label looked at the numbers of our interview. And when they saw, okay, she got a real story. There's a lot of very deep stuff that goes behind this, this young girl. You know, I'm sure they're more open to, okay, yeah, we feel more confident about putting some extra money behind this check and, you know, putting a little more push behind it because, oh, you know, she went on Vlad TV and that was, at the time, her biggest interview yet. Mm. But, no, I think even to this day it's her biggest interview yet. So. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird decision because I noticed that uh, at one point, Bootleg Kev asked you to come on his show. Yeah, me and him had a conversation about that. And he kind of aired it out that you said your platform's not really big enough, it doesn't really benefit me, so I'm going to have to say no at this time, which to me sounded like the conversation that you had with Kevin Gates, which is kind of like, I'm just not really feeling it at this time. Yeah. But you gave him a reason, which is actually more honest, to say like your platform's maybe not big enough at this time for it to make sense for me. Yeah, no, he went on the Danza podcast, because he had mentioned this, I think, on his own uh, podcast once with, I forgot who it was. And then he went on Danza and he mentioned it again. Okay. And I had to call him after that. Cause he was like, Oh yeah. You know, I asked Vlad last year to do it. And I'm like, it wasn't last year. It was like three years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, here's the, I got the text message. Here, mm-hmm. Here's, here's our actual, it was like, it was like two and a half years ago or something. Mm. And I'm like, yo, when you asked me this, you were just starting out your platform. And I was very honest with you. And the, I'm standing behind what I said. I said at the time, like, yeah, you know something, your platform's not big enough right now, but let's just keep in touch. And and what I said was, you could say that story, but don't don't twist the numbers up. Don't mm-hmm. make it sound like you hit me last week and I just blew you off. You know, after, after your NBA Youngboy interview, no, that's not what happened. You were just starting out. And I was honest enough to tell you, not right now. You should keep building up your platform so people like me We'll, we'll get some sort of value off doing those interviews because it has to be both ways. Right. Right. Like, yeah, you can do favors for people, but ultimately they want to be on a platform that millions of people watch mm. or else I'd rather be spending my time doing something else. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like I, I could always, I could make money while I'm doing an interview on someone else's platform. So I'm giving up money by being, you know, on top of me bringing security and you know what I'm saying? Taking time out of my day and, shifting my schedule around like an interview, doing an interview on someone's platform costs me money. Right. So all I'm saying is make it worthwhile for me as well. I understand you'll get benefit out of it. Mm. I got it. But for things to really work, there needs to be mutual benefit. So me and him had that conversation. I'm like, yeah, and I'll, you know, now that your platform is bigger, you know, let's just set up something in, in 2024. Right. And he's like, oh, you're right. You know, my, my bad. Like I, I, I twisted up the numbers a little bit. Because, it's kind of like, okay, I have a friend who has like a, a smaller podcast, kept asking me to do it. I finally said, okay, I'll do it. But it was at like a, a time in which it was, you know, distinctly after the Jason Love cuck arc that I went through and everything. It was kind of like, it was just at a time where there wasn't really a lot going on. I didn't really have a lot to talk about. I'm just fucking sitting in this chair doing interviews like eight hours a day. So it's not really like I had much that I felt like I wanted to talk about, but he kept asking me. So I did it. It gets 20,000 views. Like, you know, some of the clips probably did all right or whatever, but it's like, it didn't really benefit me to do media at that moment. Right. Cause I didn't really have anything I was pushing. I didn't really have anything exciting to talk about. And it doesn't really 
benefit him either because it doesn't really do any significant number of views. Right. And it makes it so that, like, realistically, I'm probably not going to come back and do your podcast again for another couple of years. Right. So to me, it's kind of like <laughs> I, I probably could have been doing him an even better favor if I kind of like explained all that. But then when you are in the middle of a crazy ass hype cycle, which I've been like, you know, various times throughout my life, like when the guy put the gun in my face. Okay, yeah. boom. I get to go on Logan Paul's podcast right after that, which I probably would not have really had the opportunity to yeah. prior when you are in that like super viral state that you sometimes are, your brain does kind of go to like, well, if I'm going to talk about this, I want to either talk about it on my own platform and be the one getting the money, or I want to make sure that I use this yeah. leverage I have right now to try to go on the biggest outlet possible. Yeah, like when the whole KPD thing broke, like I did Pierce Morgan. Right. And that was like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not mad at this. You know what I'm saying? And uh, yeah, I, I think I think unfortunately in entertainment as a whole and in hip hop in particular, no one wants to say no. Right. I think a lot of people are scared of what happens when you tell someone no. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the person's reaction is going to be. Me myself, I've never been had a problem just telling people no and also explaining why that no is there. Cause I feel like you might feel some type of way, but I'm being honest with you. You're going to have to respect it at one point. And usually it's not a, a, a total no, it's just not a, not right now. And mm-hmm. maybe a later, and I'm being honest with it. If you accept it, you accept it. If you don't, you know, if you want to be mad at me over that, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I interviewed, uh, this rapper Lefty Gunplay, who's kind of popping off on more of like a low key, like he's, he's big. He's a Mexican rapper. The Mexican community fucking loves him. He's all over every single one of the Mexican like Instagram pages. He's doing every podcast he could possibly get on. He did mine, did very very well. But it's like I see the way to him and to the people around him. They're kind of like thinking of just going on podcasts as a good means of doing promotion. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, it's kind of like. Once you've done a couple of these interviews, it probably makes sense for you to just chill out because it's like each person only has like your personality is your fucking superpower as a rapper, especially if it's someone like him who's like unbelievably entertaining and, and funny. And it's like if you just are going on a different podcast every week, you're really like sapping that special meter bar to the point where eventually maybe people are going to like fully lose interest. Like we've seen that with Crip Mac. Crip Matt comes on my show. He's doing millions and millions and millions of views. He proceeds to do every single pos- podcast he could possibly get on. At a certain point, those numbers really start dipping. Now, he's somebody who's kind of like sustainably interesting to people, so probably doesn't feel the effects of it as much. But I see this with people constantly, and I, I just I, I kind of want to tell him, like, if you're just spreading yourself this thin, it's not going to end up in a good way. It's hard to say because... Every podcast, I mean, every significant podcast has their own audience Mm. and there is overlap. Like, you know, there's overlap between No Jumper and Vlad TV, but there's also a uniqueness with our, you know, there's people who go to No Jumper that never go to Vlad TV Mm -hmm. and and vice versa. So exposing yourself to different podcasts as much as possible and having something to go behind it. If there's strong music, I don't know. I, I don't really see a downside to that, but who knows? It, it all, you know, not every podcast is also the same. Mm. You could do 20 podcasts that all brick and you get that one person who's like, 
uh, I'm going to go a little different in this direction. And, and I feel like that's the problem with a lot of the smaller podcast circuit is that they kind of, a lot of them are the same yeah. in the sense that like you're basically getting the same questions and the same experience on a lot of different shows at the same time. And I don't know if I had an artist, I would be extremely deliberate with what podcasts I allowed them to go on and when yeah. they went on it and how they sort of thought about it. Because when you look at a lot of the bigger artists, if you look at a Playboy Cardi or Travis Scott or a Drake or whatever, it's like they don't just go give a verse to whoever. It's like to do a song with Drake is massive and he needs it to be that way. If he were to just right. sell, if Drake was selling verses, even if they're half a million or a million dollars, the Drake verse would become so diluted so quickly. Well, yeah, but then again, then again, when you look at Eminem's early career, mm -hmm. he was doing verses with everybody. I don't know if you were around during that Lil time. Lil Wayne had this golden era where he was literally doing every yeah. fucking feature. And that was at the height of his career. However, I also feel like he probably would have sustained his like max popularity level in terms of being the hottest rapper in the game longer if he hadn't been spreading himself so thin. I mean, it's all it's all unique. But like when Eminem was coming up, he had he was on everyone's shit. Like before Dre found him, he was doing songs with like all the raucous artists mm -hmm. and you know he he was just on everything doing freestyles on every radio show feature here feature there down with this hip-hop crew down with that hip-hop crew didn't matter he was just like yo i'm gonna get my shit out there but but he has something exceptional on his hands it's like when mm -hmm. people heard him it was like yo who, who is this and sometimes you just have to you know you you keep doing it until that one right person is like Oh, okay. I, I see something here, mm. and and suddenly everything transforms for you mm. because that one person says, "Okay, I'm going to put some resources behind this." Right. You know, like I mean, I, I feel like like Vlad TV has done that with certain people. You know, like we did Migos' first interview. Mm. Not to say we broke the Migos, but we did the first interview. So you know, you you could call it what what you want to call it. Um, and and sometimes like seeing the person's personality on a big platform will suddenly transform and, and go viral. And, and next thing you know, you know, like, like bad baby. Right. If she didn't do uh, Dr. Phil, she'd be working in a convenience store somewhere. <laughs> you know, there like, was a now, year in now she's a multimillionaire. Yeah. There was a year in 2018 or something where she was like my biggest interview that year. Yeah. Which, we tried to interview her. Yeah. We, I think she was scared to interview with us. She, that's kind of understandable, honestly, because she might not want to be like answering all these questions in like a straight up manner. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I think she was 14 when I interviewed her. Oh, really? Which does seem a little strange in retrospect. Who's the youngest person you ever interviewed? Oh, uh, I mean, we, we've interviewed kids before. Mm. You know, I remember I interviewed the, the little girl on um, Power. Uh, I've interviewed a few kid kid rappers here and there. But you know, you you understand they're kids, so, yeah. so you're gonna, you know, you treat them as so. Right? Would you would you do that again? Like, or does it feel like at a certain point you're old enough that it just doesn't really make sense? I mean, I mean, it depends on the person. Yeah, I, I've interviewed people way older than me. Interview people way younger than me. All different races, different sexual orientations, different pronouns. <laughs> you know, uh, different aspects of life. I mean. You know, who, who's like the hottest kid star right now? I don't know. Like who's who, who's just hot to death right now who's under 18? 
I don't know. See, I, I, probably yeah. some fucking TikTok kid that we never yeah. heard of, you know? Yeah, like, would I interview someone like that? Yeah, sure. Mm. Why not? I mean, you know, the, the strength the strength of the interviewer is you could sit down with someone you've never met and create an enticing, you know, provocative piece of content right? with that person, regardless of whether you connect with that person in terms of common interests, because you're not going to have common interests with a lot of people, you know. mm. but, but it's the skill of the interviewer to create a good story out of that. And that usually involves a lot of research and everything else like that. Like, you know, the Scarlet interview, they got millions of views. She's way younger than me, grew up in a very different environment, had a lot of abuse and stuff like that, which I can't relate to myself, but I, I learned her story and I knew coming into it what she went through and she did a few smaller interviews. So I was able to piece those together and create a very provocative, or provocative is not the word, um, just a very deep piece of content that mm. I think affected a lot of people who went through abuse. And that's an amazing feeling when you interview somebody and you end up getting something from them that you weren't expecting or that yeah. you didn't know it was going to go as right. deep as it went. Exactly. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, man. Uh, I would absolutely interview kids. You know what I'm saying? And I've done it before. Mm. <clears throat> you know, now now there's, I forgot who it was. There was a kid that we interviewed. Well, Shirley Jew interviewed him. Sue, Sue Generous? Oh, Sue, yeah. And I, I think, back in the day. yeah, and I think that originally we we're going to, I was going to interview him, but then when we looked into it, he had a bunch of songs about doing lean and, and drugs oh, okay. and stuff like that as a kid. Yeah. And I just said, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to promote that. I'm not mm. going to promote kids doing drugs. Right. But when he was older, <clears throat> you know, the interview came across my desk and I was like, yeah, all right, surely go ahead. You know, could go ahead and interview him. I mean, now he's an adult. Right. And we, we referenced, you know, she referenced some of that stuff from before. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, there's certain things I wouldn't do, certain things I would do. Mm. There was a controversy where uh, apparently Joe Budden interviewed Math Hoffa, and okay. Math, and the interview never came out. Oh, really? Because I didn't know this. Because Math Hoffa said something that was somewhat that was perceived as homophobic or insensitive to those kind of people throughout the interview, and apparently that was enough reason for the interview to never come out. And this this all played out in another interview that they did where they were talking about it and everything. And I actually sent. Math Hoffa a voice note last night asking, saying, I'm going to interview Vlad. I was thinking about mentioning this topic. What exactly did you say in that interview that was mm -hmm. considered this offensive? And I told him that I was going to quote him. Um, it was basically about asking whether it was okay to ask a friend if he's gay. My argument was, that's really my friend. He shouldn't have to hide anything from me. But Joe felt like that was violating. He adamantly opposed it and dragged it out and made it a whole thing. I was he scrapped the interview over that. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I, I told him, I said, I thought you must have said some monstrous shit laughing emoji. Because to me, if you're gonna not put a whole interview out it's probably more than that though. You have to really <laughs> shout like, out to math, man. I love I you, know. math, but I think there's a little more to that. And yeah, he know, might have been uh, downplaying yeah, it. Yeah, without without hearing it. You don't really know. But I mean, mm -hmm. Joe scrapped the Tasha K interview also, I think. And that was more of him being concerned about defamation or her yeah. talking about certain people. That would have been the same logic by which I could have canceled that loose cannon interview before it came out. Right. 
what would someone have to say in order for you to not put an interview out in terms of like, let's just stick to conversations about gay people. Could you imagine someone saying something that was so offensive that you were like, no, this can't come out on my platform? Sure. Uh, doing harm to gay people. Promoting I, I, that kind of thing. Yeah, no. performing harm to gay people. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that out. Um, you know, that there's certain uh, misinformation. Mm. You know, like I remember uh, we had a, uh, because of an old interview I had with Willie D, um, which we did a flashback on, and Willie D was, you know, is is anti-vax. Mm. And, and me and him had a conversation about, and you know, how him, he, him being anti-vaccine and me being pro-vaccine, we had a kind of discussion over it. And uh, that video got hit with a community guideline strike. Oh, wow, yeah. And the first one that you get is just a warning. I don't think they do that anymore. Well, okay, so here's the thing. When they did it at the time, it was a permanent warning that never went away. Oh, yeah, yeah. But recently, um, maybe about three months ago, they actually uh, introduced a program where you could take this little online class about what you got the guideline strike on. Mm. And then I think within 90 days, that strike will go away unless you get another strike for the same thing during that time. So once that's strike went away well the warning went away i had this interview with QAnon shaman <laughs> that, that was yeah. just i was just holding for like six months oh okay that was old I and mean. yeah it was old and i but I, I was like you know this guy is anti-conspiracy yeah. everything like so and i had to cut out parts of those interview parts you know because i remember this whole spiel he did about why he didn't take the anthrax virus you know vaccine and he had to leave the military over it so some parts we had to cut out of it but you know, there's there's just certain things that you know is going to be problematic on the platform that you sort of avoid. You know, like people that have been banned on YouTube, I try not to interview. Really? Have you had a hard time with that, though? No. Because I feel like I can interview someone like Steve Will Do It and it doesn't matter. But then I was listening to a conversation with some of the other Nelk boys and they basically said that YouTube warned them that if Steve will do it as a consistent presence in their vlogs, that that could end up with them getting strikes on YouTube. Yeah, which seems I, don't, wild. I don't f- around with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to just avoid that. If you've gotten banned on the platform that I make most of my money at, why would I put you on that platform? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm just, you know, wrestling with rattlesnakes. Like, you know, I mean, sooner or later it's going to bite you and you can't be surprised when it does. So, But at a certain point. How important is it for you to be principled in who your platform? Man, we're doing a business here. Mm. We're doing a business. And, uh, you know, I remember I talked to the Rumble CEO briefly, and we were supposed to potentially do something over there, but he never followed up. Mm. So we, like, we wanted to put the QAnon Shaman interview on Rumble instead, but he never followed up with me. And I hit him a few times, so I finally just gave up. Uh, but there are different platforms for different things. You know, there's Patreon and, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, you're running a business. Like, why why would you sit there and be defiant over a business that really doesn't give a shit whether you do your millions of views or not? Like, YouTube doesn't give a shit about you. Mm. If, if every hip-hop platform ceased to exist right now, not just me, me, you, academics, Nori, Sean Cotton, you know, drink champs. If everyone suddenly just got shut down by YouTube, no. their overall numbers would be completely unaffected. Yeah. 
overall as much as those channels that you just named to a lot of people viewing this right now they feel like that is the entirety of the media world no it's not youtube as a whole that wouldn't even be like one one hundredth of one percent they would not care no and this is no shot because i'm including myself in this pile they don't give a shit they're owned by google multi the, the company's worth like you know whatever 900 billion dollars like they don't give a shit about what you're doing. So when you realize that, why would you sit there and push the envelope with them? When they can, tr- they can shut you down and that's it. And, and then it's over. Like Steve will do it. It's a wrap. Mm. He can't start another channel, right? For like the worst reason ever as well. Was it like from a gambling ad or something like that? Yeah, on his second channel, he was doing gambling. And I guess the rule is that you have to cover the URL, the dot com url or whatever mm-hmm. site he was gambling on and he didn't cover it so he got over on a second channel and it also took a, took out his main channel where he had <clears throat> i don't know five million subscribers and was getting millions and millions and millions of views per video yeah and it's like there are a lot of other places where you can make content he obviously has a rumble deal he puts stuff on tiktok snapchat whatever but it's it really feels like they basically like decimated his career by taking away his YouTube presence, and he hasn't yeah. really been able to 100% get back on track, which is crazy. Yeah. This is what happens when you don't take the shit seriously. Mm. You got to take the shit seriously. Like, we've been around for 16 years now. We've had a lot of strikes and warnings and threats and this, that, and the third, but we've managed to navigate through them mm. because it's a business. Take it seriously. Why haven't we seen China Mac on the China TV oh, okay. in recent memory? All right, this story. So from what I understand, you've been kind of telling a version of this story I've been on your podcast. A version, a, my version. Your sure. version? Okay. So so uh, China Mac, we put him on his first ever mm-hmm. interviewer, interview. Uh, how'd you meet him? Uh, through my son. Okay. So, so my son was like, hey, I got this friend named China Mac, he just got out of prison. He was involved in a shooting incident with Jin. Right. And um, he wants to do an interview, and he's willing to talk about that shooting incident. Mm. So I said, okay, well, I know Jin personally, actually. Um, I met him at an Andrew Yang rally. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I met him, oh my God, when I was moving to New York to be a DJ, like, on the plane. Where he was, like, the, the hot 106 in Park battle rapper. Like, a Rough Rider days. Yeah, hmm. maybe even before that. No, oh. I, no actually, no, you're right. No, it was, it was Rough Rider days. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he came in to tell that story, and the interview did big numbers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, this was around the time that I was really kind of playing around with the concept of, you know, I had repeat guests, but none of them were sort of like in the, more in the gangster genre. Mm. So I was like, I remember I hit him up, and I was like, uh, hey, do you want to do another interview? But this time I want to talk. I don't really want to talk about the gin incident. I want to talk about kind of like how the, the Chinese mafia works in New York and everything else like that. He's like, yeah, I'm willing to talk about that. So we did another interview, and that interview did really well. And I think from that interview, from those two interviews, that sort of got him into doing, doing his every own, other interview. Yeah, making doing his own a lot content, of other interviews. Yeah. You know, he, he had his own podcast at one point. Mm-hmm. I remember I went out to Queens and, and sat in and did his interview. And uh, I would have him on my podcast and I would actually pay him as a repeat guest. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, we had a very respectful relationship and everything else like that. So he hit me up and it was like, yo, I want you to do my podcast. And I'm like, sure, I got you. You know, didn't, didn't, didn't charge him anything or whatever else. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, I understand it's a smaller platform and they don't have the same type of money that we do. So I was like, cool, I got you. And he, I'm like, where's it going to be at? He's like, oh, in downtown LA. All right, cool. And I was like, you know, do I need to bring security with me? Mm-hmm. He goes, oh, no, no, absolutely not. It's just going to be us two in, in just a little private room. This is not a studio. You know, if it was like a public studio or a place where I know a lot of people come through, I would always bring security. Like, I have security with me right now. Mm-hmm. But he's like, no, 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 it's just a little private, little private apartment, and it's just going to be us two. Um, so don't don't bring security. So I was like, all right, cool. So, <laughs> and he was like, oh, and it's going to be live. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is a little different. I don't do live stuff really ever, but me and him have a history, so I'm down. So cool, I'll do it. So... We're doing the interview, and then um, I hear some noise, and you know you see all this in the video that surfaced the same night. Mm. A couple of guys came in arguing in the background. You know they they walked past us behind the camera, and they're arguing. The argument is getting more and more loud, and then one of them's like, "Yo, I'm about to go get my gun," or some 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 like that, and I'm just like. If you see the video, I put my hands in my pockets. Right. Because I had something on me mm-hmm. at the time. Right. And this thing is escalating behind me, and I'm not, I mean, it seems real. You know what I'm saying? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know either of these two guys. I don't know where this is about to spill over into me, and I'm on live right now. So every single thing that's happening right now is now being recorded by somebody mm. and I have no control over this. So if you look, I'm, I'm going like this. I'm like, yo, just, just shut off the live stream. Like no one needs to see what's happening back here. Mm. You know what I'm saying? No one needs to be involved in this, this ruckus that's happening behind us. And then it turns out to be a prank. But how long did it take for you to realize that? When he threw confetti on me. Oh, it's in the video. Right, right, right. Yeah. I didn't know it was a prank until the confetti you know, hit me. Mm-hmm. And, um, at the time it was like, I, you know, like, you know, I wasn't really annoyed at the time cause there was a little bit of adrenaline kind of flowing mm-hmm. in the whole situation. And we went and had some dinner afterwards and anything else like that. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this could potentially have gone very badly. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I could have pulled out a weapon live on camera. I could have gotten scared and ran away live on camera. And that's all content to him. Those are all like good things. You know? Yeah. But because chaos is kind of like a streamer's yeah, currency. But, but I'm a, I'm a CEO. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm, I'm behind the camera m- most often. Like I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not the troll. Mm. You know, I'm not the troll type person that, that does it. And he knows that. Um, and I felt I was put in a precarious situation. And the fact that it even happened was because I trusted him enough not to bring my security. Mm. If my security was there, he wouldn't have pulled 
Right. He pulled off. He told you not to bring security. He told me not to bring security. <laughs> That's kind of like an additional layer on, there. Yeah, kind of on purpose. Yeah. Because like I said, if my security was right there, he would have been one all of those over. guys could have gotten shot. Right. You know what I'm saying? As a joke. And then, you know, but the fact that he told me, purposely told me not to bring security in order to prank me. And it's it's live. Had it not been live, I would have thought about it a little bit differently because I, I would have probably told him, just don't put that out. Mm. I'm not I'm not really into that. It's not my personality. You don't see me in the middle of a bunch of pranks ever. Mm. And I felt like in terms of our relationship, what I've done for him, put him on, you know what I'm saying? Put in the initial, you know, use my platform and my audience to help bring him a career. Basically open the door for open everything door. that has happened to him Yeah, since. open the door for all the stuff that he's done afterwards. I would have just felt that he would respect me a little bit more than to do that, than to put me in a situation that could have possibly gone wrong because he knows I'm not a gangster or a tough guy or anything else like that. He didn't know how I was going to react. Luckily, I reacted... Well, hmm. but it could have very easily gone, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if I could have just panicked, right. then that would have been a meme forever. You know what I'm saying? So me and him had a conversation about it afterwards. And I was like, me and you are still cool. Like, you know, we've posted some of his stuff before. He's hit me with a happy new year. I hit him back with a happy new year and, and everything else. Like that. I have no beef with China Mac at all. I, I wish him all the best, but I just said after that, um, I don't feel comfortable bringing you back on my platform and paying you and stuff like that because I, I feel like what you did wasn't respectful to our relationship. Mm. You know, if you had Kevin Lyles or, right. you know, uh, Leo Cohen or Russell Simmons, not to say I am of the caliber of those guys, but I'm saying we're all CEOs, you know, or even a Dame Dash. If you would have had any of those people, you wouldn't have pranked them. Mm. It's just with me, you felt like you could prank me for whatever reason. And I felt like I, I respect him too much to do that to him. And I felt like him doing it to me, I felt wasn't, you know, giving back the respect that I've always shown him. Mm. So that's where we are. There's no beef. I'm not mad at him. I'm never, I'm not speaking negatively about him right now, but that's, that's the story. You know what I'm saying? And from his point of view, he was like, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't really think it all the way through. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, well, if this happens, what happens here? Then what happens here? Then what happens here? I think he just saw it. He told me he saw it as an opportunity to create a viral moment, but is being done at my expense. Was there also an extent to which you felt like he kind of lied to you on your platform? You mean the, the fight with AD? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I heard that that story wasn't real. And when I asked him about it, he denied that it was fake. So I don't know. I've never seen the video. It does seem a little questionable. Mm. Did AD tell you it was fake? AD and I had a conversation in which we agreed yeah, that, yeah, this kind of falls out all the time. We are, we kind of agreed that I wasn't going to speak on it anymore because but you're speaking on it now. No, I'm not speaking <laughs> so specifically, but <laughs> <laughs> me and AD had this like actual real friendship for a sustained period of time. 
And I kind of like went against how I would normally want to carry my, you know, past friendship with somebody like AD in order to be able to dunk on China Mac. And even though I didn't lie, I still, you know, I look at that situation as something that I probably, I don't want to like make AD look bad to get at China Mac, even though that's how that situation played out. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I never am a fan of promoting a fake situation. Right. Right. You were making me, while you were explaining that, you were making me think, like, would I ever even consider doing that to one of my guests? There's been times where me and my guests sort of, like, conspired to ham shit up on camera. Like, oh. But I, I've never had a situation where I was like, oh, I'm going to fucking shock and surprise them. Right. That feels like a step too far in terms of how yeah. you treat your guests. In particular, him doing that, you know, it would be one thing if he did a little prank on some 18-year-old rapper kid. It's kind of another thing when you're dealing with a guy who's in his 40s, has a big fucking platform, et cetera. It's like that, that I could definitely understand how that would rub you the wrong way. Yeah, so it was just one of those things. So so this is why you haven't seen China Mac on Vlad TV. And, and there, there's no beef. If you text me, I'll hit him back. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's, just, it's just one of those things where... I don't agree with it. And that just sort of affected our business relationship to a certain degree. Um, but, you know, may, maybe the future will hold something different. Who, who knows? Mm. Uh, I have no idea. But at this time, this is why you haven't seen China Mac uh, on the platform. And, um, you know, going, trying to go viral isn't always, you know, always isn't always the best strategy. And, and you kind of have to work things out in your head. You have to work out the whole story. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, what if we pull the prank and then someone gets shot? Right. That might happen. Vlad doesn't bring security, but he might have a gun on him. Mm. Not to say I had a gun on me, but you know what I'm saying? Who, who knows? Someone might get stabbed. Someone might get, you know, who, who the hell knows? You're, you're putting someone in a, in a situation and you don't really know how they're going to react. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And, and just because someone isn't a quote unquote gangster doesn't mean that they don't have a survival instinct. Yeah, because I've been through home invasions. Mm. I've, you know, what I'm saying like I'm not a tough guy, but I'm also not going to sit there and, and let someone kill me. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like I, I have a, I will protect myself and I will kill somebody if if my life or theirs is, is on the line. Mm. You know, I I, I wouldn't. You know, like, and that's the thing that people don't always realize is that when you see when you see people at this at these high positions, like none of them are really punks. Mm. You know what I'm saying? You may think they're a punk because they may not have big muscles or they may not carry a gun or they don't have scars on them. But every person at a certain position has had to go through a lot of shit to get to that position, had to stand their ground with a lot of people that have been trying to tear them down. Mm. So, so everyone has a certain level of, of, of courage and character at that position. So when you push them, you don't really know what's going to happen. You may think because... I've never been to prison that I'm a certain type of way, but you don't really know until you see me in that situation. And your response is not like, I'm going to beat this shit out of China Mac. It's no, just, I'm not really comfortable doing business with you anymore at this time. Yeah. Right. That's it. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't want to fight China Mac. I don't want to <laughs> see anyone fight him. Like, you know, right. I, I hope he does well. Mm. You know, like I said, I, I helped start him off in this business. So when he does well, I feel like I've contributed to that, and I, that makes me happy. I've never asked him for anything. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I, I've even paid him right. for my interviews. So, you know, for him coming on my platform, because he's got, you know, 
his interviews have done well. And mm-hmm. I, I believe in compensating like repeat guests. But at the end of the day, shit happens. Relationships change. Mm, definitely. As long as we're talking about intentionally going viral, um, it feels like there's a little new metagame over the last couple of years that we're all kind of conscious of within our businesses where as high-profile people in hip-hop, and it's happened to you a bunch of times over the last couple of months, you have a somewhat controversial opinion. Mm-hmm. With you, it doesn't really feel forced. It feels like it's just genuinely happening to you because you're not you know, scared to share your real opinions on social yeah. media and everything. Elliot obviously has had a bunch of these this year. Um, myself as well, I guess, academics constantly, Joe constantly, where it's like you have a controversial opinion or take, and it feels like a lot of times people now are kind of like intentionally trying to figure out what they're going to put out there to be able to sort of dominate the media cycle for the next couple of days. Like, mm-hmm. and, and this is something where maybe at a previous time, a bunch of people hating on you and talking shit, like what's been going on with you in the uh, Taraji, what, Taraji, Taraji P. Hansen. Yeah. yeah. She like, you know, you've had your take on her. Yeah. This is a take that maybe Vlad a few years ago would have been a little bit more cautious about putting out there because the end result is like a lot of people calling you racist. And it feels like you kind of at this point, it's just like, you know, if this is how I feel. F- it, I'll ride this wave and have y'all talk about me for a day or two. Well, because it's not racist. Mm. And, and uh, in fact, if you look at the point of what I'm saying is if you're unhappy with what a company is choosing to pay you, then it's time for you to start building your own company and start paying yourself. Mm. That's it. And this is why, you know, I think today the interview with Michael Jai White is coming out, okay. who has been acting longer than Taraji P. Henson, mm-hmm. who's also worked with the same production companies. Like he's done Tyler Perry films and, you know, has also done Batman films and, you know, big high budget, multi hundred million dollar films. I feel like their, their careers are somewhat similar. I mean, apart from him being male and her being female. Mm-hmm. And he reached a point in his career where he said, Hey, it's time for me to start my own projects, which mm-hmm. is why Outlaw Johnny Black was something that he wrote produced and directed and starred in on his own. And he pulled up in a brand new (laughs) Land Rover, you know what I mean? And I asked him, yo, like you've been in Batman movies and and other, you know, you starred in Spawn and stuff like that. Have you done better getting a check from, you know, a film company or doing your own? He goes, no, doing my own. Mm. And that money goes on for a long time. And you, you see what I'm saying? So my point was, as a po- you know, I understand it's frustrating when someone doesn't pay you what you feel you deserve, but ultimately people are going to pay you what they want to pay you. You have no control over that. You have no control over someone paying you less than what you feel you should get paid if you're not an employee. You're just mm-hmm. an independent contractor. And you're in a position, being a Taraji P. Henson, that you could create your own productions. You could You could either pay people out of your own pocket or you could partner with people who all love you. And I'm a super fan of Taraji. I've watched essentially all her movies. That was my overall point. So if people want to take out 20 seconds out of that whole conversation and make it look a certain type of way, it's like, all right, cool. I'll just respond with the clip. And here's the the bigger conversation. It does seem, it seems like a pretty absurd argument to people like me and you, I think, because we've both had conversations about, this guy 
just tried to get me to pay him 10 grand to come on the podcast. Can you fucking believe it? And, you know, mm-hmm. we are very, very cognizant of what people are worth because we could both kind of eyeball how many yeah. views a person might get. So 10,000 is totally out of bounds. Couple thousand, okay, that makes sense. You know, we yeah. we're able to kind of do this arithmetic in our head, and we would assume that a movie director, when they offer her an amount of money, that same thing. Yeah. it's the same exact thing. Where if if you if you want a million dollars and they're only down mm-hmm. to give you two hundred k, and you can't get them to go above two hundred k, well, I guess we've arrived at what your actual yeah. real market rate is, right. and. Perhaps you feel as if the years of work that you put in means that you're worth more, but ultimately you're only worth what you can negotiate. Right. I mean, in the in the Benjamin Button situation, she got paid 150k. Mm-hmm. She wanted 500, but they wouldn't budge. Right. And they wouldn't go above 150k. Now the overall budget was 150 million on that film, mm-hmm. and people say, "Oh, that's so unfair. She's only getting 0.1 percent of the total budget," but. She's also the fifth lead in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, people, you know, she got the, you know, she was nominated for a uh, co-star, but there was a lot of co-stars. <laughs> she wasn't the only co-star in that film. So she's like, she's literally fifth down the line with Brad Pitt being one, of course. You get to that point and you have an overall budget and they're like, yo, we got the 150. If you don't want to take it, there, there's, we have, you know, a number of alternates for this position, some of them may not even be black. Some, you know, I mean, the, the the position itself was not necessarily for a black character. It could have been a white character, it could have been a Spanish character, mm-hmm. could have been an Indian character. It could be, it could have gone a lot of different ways. But they're like, okay, she's a good match if we can get her for this budget. If not, okay, then we go with round two. Mm. Um, you know, like uh, Samuel Jackson wasn't the number one pick for Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. Really, it was um, Lawrence Fishburne. Okay. Yeah, Lawrence, because I remember watching a Quentin Tarantino uh, wow, interview about crazy. this. Lawrence Fishburne was the number one pick, but he just came off of starring in, uh, I think, King of New York or mm. something like that. And they didn't want to, his, his management didn't want him to do the role because it wasn't the starring role of the film. Mm. But, you know what I'm saying? So he wasn't going to be on the cover or whatever else. So they passed on it because. You know, they felt like if you position yourself as a starring character, you got to keep with that. Right. As a, at the point that you're taking lower roles, then you'll keep getting lower roles. Mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson came in and he killed it. And, uh, you know, look, I- I'm sure it, it, it is annoying not getting what it is that you want or what you feel you deserve. <clears throat> but entertainment, you also opportunities raise will come up based on you doing stuff for free or for cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she got a, nominated for an Academy Award, so I'm sure that there's millions of dollars down the line that came from that nomination. She got paid 500,000 <clears throat> She got paid 500,000 from Tyler Perry later on. You know, he was willing to pay her as a starring um, you know, lead in a particular film that he had. So, who knows? But my point was never to say she should be happy with getting less than her co-stars. I would never say that. Mm. I would never, ever say that. And, you know, like, for example, part of the conversation with Michael Jai White, which was very, very interesting to me, because when she did her interview where she was crying, she was like, yeah, you know, I, I'm not, I haven't gotten a raise, 
you know, after all these years and they keep telling me that my celebrity doesn't translate overseas. Mm. And Michael really broke it down so well. He goes, what, what she's not saying is that all dramatic and comedic actors don't translate overseas. Mm-hmm. Action is the only thing to translate overseas. When you look at movies, the reason why Marvel movies do so well. Fast and the Furious. The Fast and Furious. Mm-hmm. You know, all these Korean films like Squid Games and all these other like, you know, all these gangster films that are coming out on Netflix and so forth. They're translating because it's action and it's fighting and it's superheroes right. and it's special effects and stuff like that. Not do you thing. really, yeah, do you really think that someone, that, that the French audience gives a shit about an American comedian? Mm. Those jokes don't translate. They have their own comedians. Dramatic actors don't translate into Spanish markets. They have their own dramatic actors over there. Mm. So yeah. People like Michael Jai White or like Kevin Hart have figured that out and said, okay, let's do action films because we can make a ton of money in other countries because it translates. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for Taraji, the type of roles that she's great at are not action roles. So so they don't translate. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you're you're stuck within the limitations of the business that you're in unless you want to shift. She could become an action star if she wants. I mean, you know, you have older action stars, Liam Neeson and stuff like that. Or you, better yet, you start your own production company. You start your own films. People like to say, oh, Reese Witherspoon's a billionaire. But Reese Witherspoon has her own productions. She does her own films. You know, same thing with Brad Pitt. Same thing with Michael Jai White. Same thing with Tyler Perry. Mm. You know, but some people, <clears throat> they want to do the big budget Hollywood films. They want that look. They want, and they want to get paid. They want, the but, but you don't always, a lot of times the bigger looks are having to do with crews that are hundreds, if not thousands of people, and they all have to get paid. Mm. So you're not always going to get, you know, like when I asked Lunell, Lunell said, I'm not complaining. Like, I'm not one of the actresses that's complaining. Like, when I've done my movie roles, I'm very happy to get the, mo- the money that I got. Mm. You know? And I said, what's the most you've ever gotten in a film? She's like, that's easy. Borat. Got over a million dollars for doing Borat. But there's only five people in the film. Mm. And it was done independently by Sasha Baron Cohen. Right. The money's there. You just have to approach it a little bit differently. If you keep doing it the same way over and over again, you're not getting the result that you want. At some point, you have to say, I'm just going to do it a little bit differently. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of baffling to us because we are so close to, there he is, the devil himself, Whack 100. What up, Whack? Look at him. What up, white guy? <laughs> Shiny ass head. <laughs> we'll be done soon. Don't worry. Um, <clears throat> we're so in touch with the value of our own labor because yeah. it's right yeah. there for mm-hmm. us in the analytics and our bank yeah. account at the end of the month, et cetera. Right. And rappers are kind of in a similar situation yeah. where... It would be hard to imagine future taking to Instagram and saying, how dare this venue only give me 500K for performing here? Yeah. I think I'm worth $2 million. Right. The venue is going to pay you as much, or or the promoter or whatever, they're going to pay you as much as they can afford to pay you while still getting the return that they expect to get. And for you to complain about it seems kind of absurd because the reality is that they're going to pay you whatever they feel is fair. And they're, they're going to pay you as little as possible, actually. And it's on you to negotiate for more. Yeah. And if ultimately the number 
isn't something that you're happy with, it's it, you're free to say no. You're free to say no, and you yeah. go on to another project. Or you do your own projects. Mm. You know, and, and I remember one of the things that T.K. Kirkland kind of pointed out was she got paid 150000 to do Benjamin Button. If she launched her own YouTube channel and started creating, like, short-form content and stuff like that, she could make 150000 on her own fairly quickly, I think. A Taraji behind like yeah. a serious. Okay, listen. Taraji started her own YouTube channel and took it seriously. Mm. People forget that Cat Williams was not hot ten years ago. Mm. He was doing videos on YouTube like Chocolate Dropper and stuff like that. That's how he got hot. And then from there, other opportunities opened up. If she was like Hollywood, I'm going to start filming my own content, putting it out on YouTube. I have a huge fan base with my audience. I'm going to get a couple of, uh, you know, talented video people, interns that I only have to pay who just want to be around mm. and create dope content. You could do Benjamin Button numbers in a month mm. and then own that content and it could continue to make money off that. But but people, you know, and, and people say, like, well, it's, it's different skill sets, like uh, an actor is not a director, is not a writer. But but all those people are all around. Like, I'm not I, I used to do interviews hold the camera and film it, go home and edit it. Me too. Do the write-ups myself and publish them and then promote it on my own. I was a one-person company for a long time until I said, okay, I'm going to hire a videographer. I'm going to hire a writer. I'm going to hire mm -hmm. a manager. I'm going to hire, you know, a finance person. I'm going to hire all these people because I'm not good at this other stuff. I'm just good at this. So let me focus on this and pay other people to do this or make them partners, you know, which is an option. Also, you could do it on your own. You're just not going to have the biggest look that you might be used to. But at some point you got to adapt. And that's right. all I'm saying is like, yo, like I want to see Taraji adapt and do her own thing as opposed to just say, this is unfair and I'm really angry and upset. I'm going to cry about this. Like, mm -hmm. yo, like, like take matters into your own hands. And I think in the long run, you'll actually do a lot better. Everybody loves to play the victim. It's a very, uh, very compelling yeah, case and I'm, to the I'm public. I'm the bad guy because I come out and say it. Yeah. I come out and just put it right there on the table and it turns into a racial thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, like a white guy. You know, a white guy shouldn't be allowed to even speak on black women. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is a ridiculous statement because what? Well, black people can't speak about white men. Like, but so, <laughs> I mean, like, are, are there ever any times in which you are sort of intentionally putting a take out there knowing it'll go viral? Because some of Elliot's takes this year to me seemed a little formulaic. Like when he comes out and he. <coughs> Uh, complains about Drake doing the interview with Bobby Altoff or whatever. It's yeah. it, it, it just it feels to me like this has to be calculated because <coughs> it was so obviously going to get the reaction that it got. It felt like a calculated decision to perhaps sacrifice some degree of uh, you know his relationship with Drake in order to make this point that he felt very very strongly about. And I see I feel like I see a lot of people kind of like gunning to get this sort of reaction in this uh, new media environment. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know the certain things, you know, when I basically bashed uh, Andre 3000's flute album. I did knew. not listen to that. How was it? Uh, who knows? <laughs> I, I, oh, so a, you didn't a, listen to it? I listened to a little bit of oh, it. Okay. It was a flute album. How, how much can you get into it?
fucking flutes. Probably not. You know, and I know when I put out the tweet that basically, I remember I I put out the streaming numbers, which were dismal in the beginning. Mm. I said, yo, this is what I mean. Like, it's a flute album. No one's listening to it. And later on, a few more million streams accrued. Okay. But then the tweet went went viral, which may have helped the actual streaming Mm. numbers. There was like, oh, this guy doesn't, it's about art. It's not about streams. And I, I remember... The DOC was one of the guys who chimed in, was like, yo, Vlad, and me, me, me and Doc know each other, and it was like, yo, listen, it's about art, it's not really about streams, it's not really about the numbers per se. It's about both. We got on the phone, <laughs> and I'm like, look, like, DOC is one of the the foundations, I feel, of, of hip-hop. Mm. Like, for writing for NWA, writing for Eazy-E, writing for Snoop you know, a, a major force in both the chronic and 2001, like no one could say that this is not a pivotal part in what we call hip hop today. But I asked him, I'm like, okay, I, I hear your argument. What song you've been bumping on that flute album? What track? He's like, nah, I haven't listened to it. I'm like, this is my point. Yeah. Nobody in hip hop wants to hear this shit. Mm. Okay, now you could sit there and say, you're so brave, oh, so creative. But no one in hip-hop wants to hear that shit, and this is coming from one of the greats in hip-hop. Andre 3000 is an all-time great when it comes to hip-hop. Now, if he wants to shift and do like a hey-ya, I think it was like, okay, this is really dope. This is still, but this is still music with vocals, and and it's got a hip-hop take on it. Mm. But was it straight guy with a flute and that's it you're just like kind of like well, what what the fuck? you know it's just like you could should just kept this on your hard drive mm. and, and just played it for your friends or for yourself like like not everything you make should go out to the public there's lots of stuff that we scrap that is just like nah this we tried and it, nah mm. i'm good <laughs> you know what i mean like I, i'm not happy with this uh i don't know maybe artistically he feels like this is so great but I don't know a single person who bumps this flute album. Not a single human being. Yeah. And and that's my point. And I knew it would get the kind of reaction it did. And but it's like, all right, cool. Like you you know that being it, it's it's so easy, honestly. Like, I know that if I do a certain kind of take, a certain kind of tweet, a certain kind of interview, I'll get a whole bunch of hate. I know that if I go the opposite direction and do something when it comes to like investing or wealth building or, or something like that. Oh, everyone, oh, Vlad, you're the greatest ever. It's, it's, it's so easy to just see where it's gonna go. And you don't, I try not to take either way all that seriously. I don't pat myself in the back when I get a whole bunch of love and I don't get depressed when I get a whole bunch of hate. Hmm. This is all just part of the cycle of it all. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, can Eminem be considered the greatest rapper of all time or is that put in jeopardy because he's white? You agree with Dr. Umar on this? Uh, I think that most hip-hop heads would put Eminem as one of the greats. One of, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I'm not giving him the top spot. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to personal preference. Right. But in terms of the overall skill level of what he does, his catalog, uh, the number of people he pulls in, if he, I mean, imagine him doing a show. Right. Yeah, I was just saying, you know, like, about like, that. Yeah, when he came on, you know, when he showed up in Detroit, for the for the fifty cent show, like Detroit lost its fucking mind. Oh really? He did that? Yeah, 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 yeah. He just showed up. 
You know, I mean, how, how much would Eminem get for a show these days? Like two million, maybe yeah. three million. Like there's a straight one-off show. Mm. Like you could do a Taylor Swift type tour, probably. Totally. Do those venues. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you look at the number of big songs he has, his overall wordplay, the fact that he got on with some of the greats and held his own, like Jay Z. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, I feel you have to put him in the GOAT category. Right. And I think that Umar is very good at creating very He's great at takes. polarizing yeah. <laughs> comments that get people like me and you talking about it, and then he'll chime in and so forth. And the reason I even chimed in was because my name got thrown into it. Because mm. he was like, oh, yeah, you know, DJ Vlad ain't out here building schools. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you, if you want to go here, Umar, <laughs> let me bring up our interview from seven years ago where you said your school's about to launch, and mm. it still hasn't launched. Right. Um, so, no, I'm not building schools. I'm also not taking people's money mm. to build these schools that still hasn't launched. Right. So so that that was my response to, to Umar. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, Umar, you know, he, the thing about getting popularity in the space that we're in is that it only really works when you have very extreme views. Mm. Someone who's just like, hey, you know, I see both sides. You know, everyone should just live in harmony and no one's really wrong and everyone's right in their own way. You never hear of people like this, mm. you know, but the guy that says <clears throat> Eminem can't be hip hop, can't be a great because he's white. That will get a certain type of push because that'll get a certain level of debate. And you don't even have to say anything objectively offensive these days to get like a fucking media hype cycle going around you because people are so thirsty for things to get offended by that they will just take yeah. whatever. Because the other day I was on here and I was talking about a, a friend of mine who uh, briefly spent some time being a coyote. So basically he would drive down to the American Mexican border <laughs> okay. and he would pick up migrants yeah. and like he he would get down there to the border, whatever, dial a phone number or text a phone number, and then three fucking Mexican dudes would run out of a bush and jump into the back seat of his car, and he would have to drive them back to L.A. and drop them off at like a safe house, huh. and he would get paid like a thousand dollars per guy that he was able to bring back. Not saying that I support this sort of behavior, obviously not a great idea, but in the context of saying this, I referred to these guys as dirty. I mean, they've been traveling on foot, no sleep, no water, mm -hmm. no showers for days. I called them dirty. And I saw a bunch of like super thirsty podcasters trying to turn this into a racist thing. Yeah. And I'm just looking at it like you're not going to build a real strong fan base if the fans can tell that you're just making shit up. And oh, that yeah. you're just uh, pretending to be offended by things that aren't offensive. There's so many YouTube channels that really get most of their views by creating anti-Vlad videos. Mm. It's actually kind of amusing. And it's like, all right, this is how y'all going to make your money. That's cool. Mm. <laughs> I won't end up on this on this show, but, you know, that's cool. Yeah, podcast criticism and commentary is like a very it's, it's much, a whole thing. It's a growing genre. It's a growing genre. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good size uh i mean look, look at academics he's kind of the king of that mm. right i mean in our space he just basically talks about what's hot on other platforms mm. and he gives his own take on it and he you know he injects a very strong opinion behind it and look he, he's one of the top guys in our space
Definitely, I'm a little bit conflicted about reaction content from time to time because yeah, I, I don't do it. Yeah, but but then again, I kind of do it in my interviews in right. a way, right? When but my, you'll talk guess. about the thing, but you won't play the actual clip. Whereas in comparison, yeah, sometimes but, but that's, and, that, that's more for kind of copyright reasons, right? But if I could play it, I probably would. It's well within academics' right to watch a 20 minute podcast clip and say what he wants to say about it. It doesn't necessarily. I think in the long run, some of that stuff is going to be. I, I don't. Know, I don't know if the the platforms actually have the ability to kind of like limit some of it. But like there, there are other streamers and podcasters that I don't think you know about who this is all they do. They sit on stream yeah. for eight hours and they watch TV. They watch other people's interviews and they talk about it in such a limited fashion. To be fair, academics has like you know actual takes and like thoughts on shit. Yeah. But some there's been times where I did an interview and it got fifty thousand views and then I see a. Clip with somebody reacting to it and it has 500,000 views and I'm kind of like yeah so why am I why am I doing this again why are you doing this? yeah man <laughs> that's why I feel like there has to be it's very wild west still yeah after all these years of YouTube this is now whatever 16, 17, 18 years because you know it was around before it was monetized mm -hmm. you would think that someone would come in and, and basically financially clean this up yeah but you know Listen, crypto is still a mess. So, you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff takes decades mm. to actually properly put together. And I, I think these platforms realize that if you take away the ability of stealing other people's shit, yeah. it's going to tank some of these platforms. Because you look at Twitter, the most viral tweet every day is almost always going to be a screen recorded Facebook post of downloaded TikTok, uh, you know, anything like Twitter thrives off this. And oftentimes the TikTok, the original TikTok will have a hundred thousand views and then yeah. it'll have a hundred million views on Twitter because the person who posted it on TikTok posted it in a sincere fashion. Hey, this is a thing that I'm into. And then the person who posted it on Twitter will say, Hey, look at this fucking idiot and the shit that he's into. And yeah. as soon as you frame it as look at this person doing something bad, right. it's a lot more palatable. Yeah, and man. I've kind of fallen into it too because uh, there's certain podcasts that I used to watch clips from, and now I've kind of gotten sucked into watching like commentary channels about those podcasts. However, sometimes I feel like they're a little like unnecessarily negative, and I realize that I've been. He's basically being fed negative narratives about people I know who, hmm. you know, these these commentary channels are kind of it's it's on them to make the the, the the content as salacious as possible. So they right. end up kind of talking about certain people like they're total fucking idiots who I know them to be very, very smart, competent people and talking about people like they're the worst people on Earth when I know them to be good people. Well, like this. <laughs> my stuff has made its round so many ways like that that mm. it's just like, you know, it, you, you just take it as part of the game. Yeah. You know, but as long as you're creating the dope, I feel like if you're creating like like the dope shit, it will it will make its rounds. You mm. know what I'm saying? And ultimately you will benefit from it in the long run. Yeah. And, you know. If you want to just do reaction stuff, you know, I mean, at some point, I, I mean, are there any people who do reactions that really have blown up? Oh, yeah. Not not in like the hip hop space as much, but people like Hassan and XQC on Twitch and stuff. Hassan like, Campbell? Uh, no, Hassan uh, Piker. He's a like. 
political streamer or whatever. Like, I mean, some of these guys get a lot of shit because they will just literally like sit there and watch other people's content for hours at a time. And Twitch doesn't really find it necessary to take it down. Yeah. So they're playing within the rules of the platform Twitch, that they're yeah. on. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not on Twitch. I'm not on uh, Kick. Mm. I'm not on Rumble. I'm, you know, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Threads. You know, LinkedIn. You know what I mean? What what needs to happen that is kind of hard to imagine happening is that YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, etc. They all need to be on the same page. Where if there's a video clip from a Vlad interview on TikTok, it automatically detects that it's a Vlad clip, and you get the money. And there should be some kind of like link to your official platform as well. I think that's something, and you could probably, in a perfect world, you could choose, oh, this guy who re-uploaded it, I'm going to choose to give him 20% yeah. of the revenue because he actually put this He's together and made deal. it yeah. pop off, but that would really involve them all working together to an extent that I'm not sure that they're capable of, and also, I don't see why they would really be incentivized to do it. Yes, it would be more fair to the creators, but do they really care about that? Well, you don't even have to go cross-platform. I think what really should happen is that you shouldn't have the ability of re-uploading other people's content. That if you want to somehow utilize someone's content, then you have to embed yeah. their content. So if there's a if there's a video on Instagram that you really like, you just sort of share their content on your page. Mm. And then whatever happens, in the same way that YouTube embeds happen, everything, the views, whatever else whether there's any monetization that goes back to the original creator. The fact that you could rip something and re-upload it and that's considered okay. Yeah. Is, is a little mind blowing to me. Doesn't because, seem, cause it's not okay. It, it can't last that, that way it's, forever. But, but it's, it's been lasting like this. Yeah. Well, because there's a, there was a DMCA thing that basically protects a company. If you have user generated content, right. the company itself cannot be liable for it. As long as there's a mechanism of getting it removed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we've gotten lots of content removed. Mm. You know, we've striked a bunch of people and then we get this big, I, I remember someone sent me, <laughs> we had strike someone's channel because they had re-uploaded some piece of content that they weren't allowed to do. And they sent me an email and it said, dear, parentheses, company name, <laughs> we are very sorry for re-uploading your content. And there's a whole big kind of like AI explanation, but the, the beginning of it says, Parentheses company name, mm. which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> like, and I've well, like, been doing this for a while. Okay, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, like you can't even put, you can't even put my name in this form letter. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And you expect some sort of good response out of this. So uh, yeah, man, we, we protect our shit, but we also spend a lot of money on our shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you could get mad at me. Oh, you're a culture vulture or whatever. I'm a culture vulture because I don't allow everyone to steal my shit. Mm. And, and cover up my logos and allow you guys to advertise your brand with my content. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't work that way. No, yeah, it's definitely still the wild wild west. Yep. Um, Vlad, thank you very much. Appreciate your time, hey, man. My pleasure. You know, I rock with, with no jumper. Hey, appreciate for it for a man. while now. You yeah. Know? They asked me. Uh, Benzino asked me the other day. He's like, "Who's who's the best podcaster?" I said, "Vlad." I got to give it to Vlad. Oh, yeah. What did he say? Wasn't really super excited about it, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he said, Vlad's my son. Well, Vlad yeah. used to come to Double XL or uh, Source. I, the Source. Even, sorry. Yeah, that's true. I used to come to I used to come to the Source when he when he was running it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's technically true, but regardless of the sun part. <laughs> regardless of if you have 
the best personality or the most charming or whatever. Those are things that are like intangible, whatever. But when I look at the game and who kind of saw the game for what it was years, years before I did. And, you know, so many things I just kind of, even when I try to go my own way, kind of come back to looking at it from outside perspective. And I'm like, ah, I feel like Vlad kind of foresaw the right way to do this from a business perspective early on. So I have to give it to you. I feel like you are the true OG of this content shit, regardless of if you get credit. There might be people who come along that are more famous or, you know, funnier or, or cooler to people or whatever. But ultimately, to me, you're the OG of all this shit because you kind of saw it all before we all sort of did. Thank you. You know, I, I think that, you know, how everyone's talking about clipping mm. these days. Oh, you know, I should clip that part of the interview. Like I start out. And they do it with no shame. Yeah. You did it, and it was, you were the first person through the wall, so you got attacked for it over and over yeah, and over. Yeah, it was, and, and, I, and I, that was sort of like the hard part in the beginning because I would clip everything, right? The interview would be come, coming out in clips. So, you know, Breakfast Club would do an interview, but they put it out as one long piece. Mm. They wouldn't take the flack of focusing in on the most kind of controversial part because other people would clip it up. Mm-hmm. But I would clip up my own shit. Cause I'm like, well, what's the point? People are going to do this anyways, and I'm not going to benefit from it. They're right. going to benefit from doing this to my content anyway. So why, why don't I just do this to my content to begin with? <clears throat> and now it's considered perfectly normal. But at the time it was like, oh, like we're not going to do Vlad TV because he's going to break it up. And it's just like, well, someone has to be first. Yeah. And someone has to take the, the barbs, you know, and, and the jabs and so forth. Like people call me the police for asking the really hard questions. And now... You know, when you look at a lot of these platforms like Drink Champs and stuff like that, they they ask the same kind of hard questions. Mm. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, being first out, you you take the flag, but you also get the benefit. Mm. I'm not I'm not complaining, man. I think it's been a, a dope journey. Uh, I've surpassed any of my expectations to be here. I did not think I'd be here. Uh, you know, I think of me struggling you know, at 29, 30 years old, 31 years old, trying to figure out my way in life and in music and in this industry and so forth and just barely able to pay my rent and not having, you know, having $1,000 in the bank, knowing that one, my car breaking down will wipe that out and then I'll be at zero again and, and trying to figure out what exactly my niche is and how to get by and so forth. And now where I am, where I have a company, I have, you know, I'm comfortable, I have, you know, savings. I can retire if I want to retire. Um, but if you retire, what happens with all this energy that you wake up with every day? I don't know. It's I mean, kind of hard to I'm imagine, not really right? Ready to retire, I guess. Yeah. But you know, I'm 50. Uh, you know, am I going to be doing interviews at 90? <laughs> you know, if I live that long, that'd be a little weird. I think. I always used to say that I couldn't imagine my parents retiring because they were just such hardworking people. Mm-hmm. By the time they actually did retire, it was very easy for me to understand that yeah. they needed to retire. Like, I think your body, when you hit 60, when you hit 65, whatever it is, whatever age you decide that you want to hang it up, it's just, you're, I think your body and your mind kind of tells you when it's time. Yeah, but you know, TK Kirkland is yeah. 63 and he's t- still touring his ass off. He mm-hmm. has like a Live Nation deal. He's still doing interviews. He still looks good. He's well built. You know what I'm saying? He's healthy. He's he's doing his thing still. So you just never know. 
Um, John Witherspoon was touring up until he died. All you got to do is look at our uh, presidential candidates this time around. Yo, they look like corpses. Well, I mean, Biden <laughs> looks like a corpse. Right. You know but, what I mean? But like, to be fair, he may look like a corpse, but this is also a dude who's out there running around doing God knows what. Day yeah. in, day out, I, I assume the amount of effort that a Donald Trump or a Joe Biden are putting out every day is probably pretty ridiculous. So. Oh, yeah. They, they work way harder than us. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have days off like you and I have. Like right. Weekends off. Like, yeah, nah. So it's it's one of those things, man. I mean, I don't know when I'm going to retire. Um, you know, it, it'd be nice to to hand off Vlad TV to somebody. Mm. You know, I I see like for example how World Star is still a strong brand. You know, years after Q passed away, mm. they end up selling the company, but you know the the new owners has have kept it alive and it's still a viable media outlet. I think that would be dope to to have. Vlad TV go on for generations after mm. I pass away. Even when I'm, you know, I went on a honeymoon for a month last year. And, uh, well, actually, that's not a good example because I'm talking about like the business being able to exist without me. It was actually a very, very low time period for us view-wise and everything yeah. like that because I had just gone through all the hosts leaving and everything. But I think ultimately the thing that you or I are trying to create, what would really make me feel like I had accomplished something great is if by the time I'm ready to slow down or step back is if I had a, a business that made sense that I was able to continue with. And I don't necessarily know that that's possible because let's be real, yeah. this is such a competitive marketplace and there's nobody who's been successful without also basically being the person on camera for the most part. Yeah, I mean, Worldstar has done it. You to an give, extent. You got to give it to Worldstar. No, they still have a pretty big YouTube channel. They have a very big IG page. But the, the YouTube web, channel website, just posts other people's videos. But it's still mm. but it's still a hub for other people's videos. Right. But from right. like a conversational or podcast type setup, you know. No, yeah, they, they don't do they don't do a lot of original content. Right. They, they, they try. They have like damn homie and like you right. know, I think they, they're trying to do something. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if Joe Rogan walks away. Right. <laughs> I mean, is there a Rogan podcast anymore? You know. Um, and that doesn't seem to be his aim. But I think you could say that about everybody. If academics walks away, there's no, there's no academics, academics channel. If Joe Budden walks away, yeah. you got a bunch of hosts. How long are the people going to stay tuned in? I don't know. It'll probably get cut in half or cut down to a quarter or cut down to 10%. We don't even, really know. Even less than that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would. I knew you would think of something. Like an IBM over here. Uh, you guys, two white guys, appreciate it. All right, that's where we're gonna end it. That's where we're gonna end it. Piece of shit. He's a funny guy, right? Hey man, listen, I, I'm actually you know, and I gotta, I gotta hand it to you because I, th I think you even mentioned this. Like, me and Wack didn't talk for ten years. Right. Right. And. What what made me open to the conversation was your relationship with Wack. Right, realizing I, that I yeah, was able to. Yeah, yeah, if you're, and I'm like, and you and I are similar in regards. Like, you know, like you and I both don't get along with Dame Dash. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We both we both tried. We both gave we up. both want to do straight up business, and we're not really trying to involve ourselves with crazy egomaniacs exactly. that want to be able to twist the scenario exactly. at all times. Yeah. Exactly. And the fact that the you you and Wack have a good business relationship made me think that I right, so, you know. The, the 2023 whack is mm. probably a different whack than I dealt with before. If he gets along with Adam, 
there's a good chance that me and him could have a conversation and actually have a, you know, a respectful relationship as well. And and that's where we are right now. And, you know, mm. he came in. I mean, he, he helped bring game to Vlad TV. That ended up being a very big interview for us, you mm. know, 2023. His interview actually did really big numbers as well. And I think that that was like the first interview with WAC that I think people really got to know him mm. as a person. He was quite different on yours. It was, you know, he was just much more honest, straight up, answering the questions literally the version of him that I get on here quite often is like the crazy, mischievous yeah, troublemaker more turned guy. Turned up, more troll-like and Which stuff is fun. like that. Yeah, right. it, it is fun. But for If me, you keep interviewing him, you'll start to get more and more I'll start that. to get more yeah. of that. All right, so our second interview. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, but, but thank you. You know I mean? Like I said, I want to give you your props for, you know, what you've done with WAC led to me having a good relationship with WAC as well. Sure. Guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, Vlad. No doubt. My guy. My man. My dude. Uh, no Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, Snapchat, etc. Like, yeah. comment, subscribe. NoJumper.com if you want to support. And obviously, you guys all know where the GOAT Vlad is located on YouTube. Yeah. Boom. Peace.